Horror in the House of Salons, here to save the day. Vamps and zombies, ghosts and werewolves, make them go away. Let's talk about your favorite movies, have some laughs and fun. Then when you're scared of deep, dark shadows, you won't need to run. Morning is coming, there's nothing more to fear. You can come out to play. Brian and Jamie, remember, are always here. And that's all there is to say. and welcome to episode 9 of Horror in the House of Salmons. I am Jamie, and with me as always is Brian. Hello. How are you tonight? I'm doing hunky-dory. How about you? I'm doing great, and we've got some exciting stuff to start the show with. Oh, okay. What's that? Well, first of all, we have a new patron. Yay! That's always good. And it is. And this is like a bit of a super patron, and I don't know who it is. It's a phantom... Ooh. Yeah, he's a... I like the mystery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know the screen name. It's Cujo31. I don't know who that belongs to. And I sent them a message and was like, hey, you know, thank you so much. I don't... I'm afraid I don't know who you are. But got no response. So it's... Um... Well, maybe they just like us and they like lurking. Yeah, well, I mean, regardless... I appreciate it. Yes. I appreciate the hell out of it. And our benevolent benefactor, <laughs> thank you so much for being out there and for the support. We hope that you have been able to enjoy some of the bonus content, which of which there is a lot. And that brings me to another announcement that... Oh, there's a whole lot coming. Yeah. Uh, well, as you know, Halloween is on its way. And we have some really special things planned for the month of October. Um, we are doing our usual themed watch. You know, a lot of people do like a 30 days of Halloween. I say 30 because on the 31st day, that's always the same. Yeah. We watch always the same things on Halloween. But... For our 30 this year, we have chosen a topic. Why don't you tell the listeners what that topic is? It is what we found on Halloween. And that is 30 days of found footage. And mockumentaries. And some, like, laptop horror. Yeah. You know, anything that fits into that, that kind, kind of, of thing. thing. You know. Yeah. And as usual, we go... Uh, you know, alternate days and, and make our choices. Our list has been published. It's on my personal page. It's on your personal page. And I believe it's in the group. Yep. So. Uh, and it's also on Patreon for. Did we put it up on Patreon? Uh, I don't know. Well, we, it will be up on Patreon. <laughs> we made the announcement on Patreon. So that's coming. So what we're going to be doing is releasing uh, some special Halloween episodes uh, once a week throughout the month of October that includes some mini reviews, some musical fun, and whatever else I can think of to include for that. So it, it'll be a good time. We also have... Uh, Brian, why don't you tell them about your idea? Yes, we are going to be doing something special. Uh, a new thing for our patrons to help us out with and that is going to be taking a look at some of the great masters of horror directors and we're going to rank their films 
in order from least to best how we see it. But since we didn't want to just do it uh, as, you know, our opinions, we wanted to get as many opinions as we could. We are asking our patrons to rank them and then let us know their rankings. Then we're going to put all the rankings in order and each one's going to get assigned points. And based on the whole group, that will be the final master list of the ranking per director. And to start things off, we will be going with my favorite director of all time, horror or not, and that is John Carpenter. And John Carpenter has quite the catalog. We're only doing horror films or genre films. Yes. They don't necessarily have to be horror, but they have to be a genre film. Like Escape from New York. Right. Uh, and there are 19 titles that yes. are going to be ranked for that. And then there's also a little special bonus thing. We're going to be doing a random drawing of patrons who participated in the list. You know, if you if you submit a list, then uh, we will be doing a drawing to invite that patron on the show with us to discuss this list. Yes, one patron will be joining us on the podcast. If they choose. If yeah. they don't want to, they don't have to. But We hope they still send us their submission and their opinions on the films. Because that's, well, it's very helpful. But also I want to hear what they have to think. And what they have to say and what they think about these specific movies. But yeah, if they want to, then we'll put everybody into a hat and draw out one name. And... If we can make it work, and I'm sure we can, we've had guests before and stuff, we'll uh, have the show with them and we'll discuss the movies in order and what we like about them, what we don't, why they reached a certain spot on a listing, etc. And if you want to submit that list, you can submit it to Brian via Facebook, to me via Facebook, or to the email address, maven1974 at gmail.com. Just put... HOS in the subject line, so I'll know that it's for the show, and then it will go from there. And if you would like to participate in this fun and you are not yet a patron, it's very simple. It's it's only $2 a month to join in all the fun. And trust me, we do a lot of bonus content for our patrons because yeah. we appreciate the hell out of them. And I don't I don't I don't feel like that's a lot. You know, I, I don't and you know, like I said, we love everyone who listens, patron or not. It does not matter, and there is no pressure. But if you do want to get in on the fun, then join us at patreon.com slash houseofsalmons. In addition to that, we do have a couple of letters that I want to read that have come from listeners. Or actually, one listener, just two letters. Yes. And um, those, again... Anyone can submit stuff uh, via Facebook or email if you'd like to have your thoughts read on the show. And the one that I have, actually I guess it's the one that you have as well, they come from Stephen Scott, who I appreciate him so much because he always gives us really great feedback. He seems to be a very cool dude. He is, and he always shares some really interesting stories. Okay, so why don't uh, 
I have a message from him. You have a message. Why don't you go ahead and start with yours? Okay. To me, he says, I'm almost done with the podcast. Something funny. I like to listen during my bicycle rides, and several times I was looking down and behind me for the cat I heard meowing until I realized it was your cat. <laughs> so, and I believe that was Pugsley, or it might have been could Wednesday. Be. It was Wednesday or Pugsley, yeah. but... Uh, if you will recall, after we lost Fester, I said that never again would I edit one of the kids out of the show because now, because thinking back on that, it made me really sad that there were a lot of times that I could have had his voice and I edited it out over the years. And there's still some where he made it through, but a lot of that was gone and I decided I wouldn't do that. So if the kids are in the background, they're just in the background. And they're going to be. And they're a going lot. to be. <laughs> Um, and he says, um, believe it or not, I remember my first Halloween experience when I was four. So uh, this is when we were talking about the, uh, we are, this is when we were doing the bumps in the night segment mm -hmm. and he's referring to, we were at my grandparents' house in, in Oklahoma. The doorbell kept ringing and I got scared because of the monsters that were outside. That's when trick-or-treating was first explained to me. The next year, I got to be the Wolfman, my favorite monster. I also, I was a, a werewolf in the first grade. That was my very first store-bought costume, and I loved it. When I was 10, my brother and I visited this house. Some recording was playing very loud that had many scary sounds like chains, ghouls, moaning, etc., there was one light on revealing one person sitting at the foot of the stairs. They wore a hideous mask. Dark sheets were draped everywhere and some strobe lights and fans made them flutter. The person sitting on the steps pointed at one of the kids who waited at the door and motioned us to come over. The person never said a word as they took some candy and put it in my bag, waved goodbye, turned us around and patted us on the back, never saying a word. It scared the shit out of me. But as an older adult, I really appreciated what that person did, as well as my brother. One thing that really pissed me off was in 1981, two bottles of Tylenol were poisoned in Chicago. I remember that. Oh, yeah. That's the reason that we now have those blasted... Mm -hmm. Childproof uh, the, the, locks. And the, the, the seals yeah, across the, the foil, top. Yeah, yeah. Um, nobody knew if it was random or not, but it happened just several weeks before Halloween. That in that incident killed trick-or-treating for about 10 to 12 years. Adding to that fright was the satanic panic. Of course, we all remember that too. Mm -hmm. Gripping churches that were convinced Halloween was the devil's holiday. And that's when it's Satanists not. supposedly performed sacrifices. Of course. And, yeah. When else would you do it? We all heard those stories growing <laughs> up. And I will never forget, like, seeing on the news people talking about how trick-or-treating was evil. Oh, and they actually highlight that in WNUF. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of funny and very authentic. So, thank you, Stephen, for that. But he also wrote to Brian. So, what did he say to you, Brian? Okay, uh, this is, I guess, in regards to, I think it was a trivia thing we were playing or something. Or maybe it was just a series of questions. And one of the questions was, what movie traumatized you? And uh, he says, I had a few comments on the podcast tonight. The movie that traumatized me was Johnny Got His Gun. I saw that. Oh, I, I love that movie. It's really good. Uh, Jason Robards is in it. It's based off uh, World War One. It's very dark. 
and very depressing. Anyways, he continues. It was about a guy who went to war and a mortar shell blew off his arms, legs, and wiped out his face, which rendered him blind and deaf. He was a piece of meat and his mind shifted between reality and dream. His only way of communicating was tapping his head in Morse code and he asked that they kill him. They didn't. And he's left alone. I saw it when I was 11, so a bit young to process such a thing, and it really bugged me. It was forgotten until 1989 when Metallica made it a heavy part of the music video for the song One. I could be mistaken on the song title. No, you're not mistaken. In fact, One is based off that, supposedly the novel, and then the movie was featured heavily in the music video. And it was Metallica's first music video. And if you've never seen that movie, I do highly recommend it. It is kind of like a drama. Uh, it's a war movie. Not really, but it, that does factor into it. And it's just, it's very dark. It's very sad. It's kind of depressing, but it's very good. It's one of those movies where it's not a horror movie, but horrifying things happen in it. It is very horrifying. It's scarier than most horror films out there, if you think about it. This poor guy, you know, trapped in himself. And uh, because of the army's stupid bureaucracy and making... I won't give it away, but it has a very upsetting ending. I do recommend it, though, if yes. people haven't seen it. It's a good movie. Yeah. So, anyways, Steven just wanted to share that with us, so we shared it with you. Uh, thanks a lot, Stephen, for the messages. Yep. Um, I also have one more. Okay. Uh, this is from Dave. Oh, Dave uh, Z. Dave Z, our old friend and co-host, and everybody out there knows Dave. But this is in reference to when you were talking about the dreams that you had. Okay. Okay, he says, so, I also have teeth dreams all the time. Ah, I told you. Have had the losing locker combo dream many ah. times. Probably because I did forget a lot as well. And I also had dreams where I was floating slash flying Damn. all the time, just like Brian. In my flying dreams, I wouldn't get as high. I would get as high as like rooftops, maybe a little higher, and all by flapping my arms like wings. I could <laughs> always feel the air being pushed below my arms. So somehow, Brian and I have similar dreams. Yeah. And that's funny because in my floating dreams, it wasn't flying per se. I never went out to clouds. I never flew around like Superman. I just floated. And I didn't have flat my arms or anything, but I just, you know, would rise up in the air around treetop level. And I always remember I'd have to hide from people because, you know, if somebody sees you floating around, they're going to freak out or call the cops or take pictures. So I'd have to hide trees as people walk by and... But that's neat. Yeah, the the teeth one and the whole forgetting your locker com and stuff, those are two classic dreams that supposedly a lot of people have. I didn't know a lot of people, or more than just me, had the whole floating dream. But that's cool. I like that. Yeah, well, he also said you're the only other person that he has heard of, or he's talked to, wow. that has had those same dreams. Yeah, so, and uh, I don't know... I never forgot my locker com in real life. I always had that memorized. And I've never had teeth problem. That's one thing. My teeth are always excellent. I don't even have cavities. Never have. But uh, for whatever reason, 
I used to have the whole teeth falling out of my head dream. And it was a lot. For a certain period of time, it happened all the time. And now I, I haven't had that in years. Same with the locker com thing and same with the floating thing. So Interesting. Well, now you know you're not the only one. No, that's cool. Thanks, guys, so much for the feedback. You know we love the feedback. We love hearing what you guys think of the discussions that we have and what your input is. Uh, also, Debbie commented and said that she, referring to our zombie apocalypse plan, that, okay. uh, that you were probably right about uh, helping strangers and... And I know you are, but I'm just a, you know, I'm a kind person. What can I say? I don't mean to be a dick. And again, I'm not going to hurt anybody if I don't have to. But honestly, and I'm just being honest, I'm being real. I'm not going to go out of my way to help anyone either. And maybe that makes me a bad person, but I've got to take care of me and mine before anything else. Well, I appreciate you taking care of me. <laughs> okay, um... As usual, thank you. We we love the feedback. We love hearing from you guys. So we appreciate that. And, and uh, like always, if you want to send us something, we will read it on the show. Unless you tell me not to. Yes. Uh, if you tell me not to, I won't. If you want me to keep it private, I will. But if you just send it to me, then it's open season. <laughs> uh, all right. So are we ready to move on to our first movie? Or Sounds good. Let's do it. Okay. The Bride of the ABCs of Hidden Horror. Well, the uh, this is the I episode, and uh, I actually get to go first. Yay! But before we get to the movie that I chose, I want to bring up a movie that was in consideration for oh, this. Oh, Jesus. And <laughs> it was because I had never seen it. And a lot of the iMovies that I had come across that I was considering for talk, you know, for discussion were really common, you know, yeah. movies that people talk about all the time. And you could, I can say, one of them was some, like Interview with a Vampire. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows that movie. Yes. I couldn't really shed anything on it that anyone hasn't already heard, but... That's not just what this show is about. A lot of times we just want the opportunity to talk about films that we've never gotten to talk about. Yeah. And that's a film that I've never done a show on. Oh, okay. So I was like, well, you know, maybe that one. But then I decided I really want to try to, to find something more obscure and see if there's something I can really bring to the surface. And also, by doing that, bring something to myself that I've never seen and didn't know anything about. So I started doing some digging. But you forgot one crucial piece of the puzzle. That they need to be good. Yes. Yeah. So, But you don't know if they're good until oh, you I see them. Oh, I knew within two minutes this movie wasn't going to be good. Anyway, I did some didn't digging. Didn't I? I called it. Shh, shh, shh. Yes, yes, you're very smart. I am. I did some digging, and I came across a film that I'd never seen, and I'd never heard of the film, and it's called I Am Zozo. And it's from 2012. And I was like, oh, well, 
let's give it a shot. Yeah. I did watch a YouTube review about it just to try to get an idea of what it was about. And this film was available on Tubi. Tubi. It was the only place that is that is available. I wonder why. And by the way, I wanted to say, for anybody out there who's not familiar with Tubi, it is a free service, like a free app that you can download. Like if you have a smart TV, you can watch it there. Computer, um, phone, computer, whatever. whatever. And they do have ads. So that's how you can watch all these movies for free because they have ads. But... They're really, really, really a good source for films that you can't find anywhere else yes. uh, frequently. And or also just... TV movies, they, you know, because I have a thing about TV movies. I'm constantly looking for them. And, and um, you well, found a lot of anthologies there oh, that yeah. we were able to, un, you know, unable I mean, to just find. weird older movies that you might not have thought about in years and you can't find anywhere else. They might have it. Yeah. They also have categories, and they have a found footage category on there, which I pilfered quite a things from, quite a few things from for our list for Halloween. Um, but anyway, that is not a paid sponsorship. I just wanted to let, if, if people here is talking about it and you don't know what it is, then there you go. It's really easy to find and to use, and it's a good source for things that you can't find anywhere else. And I will say, Tubi, if you are listening... Uh, you can sponsor us. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we won't say no. But to uh, but to bring it back around, um, you can find films there that you can't find anywhere else, such as I Am Zozo, Christ. which is not available for rent or purchase anywhere streaming. So Tubi was the only place to see it. And it sucks. And it's about a group of five friends who go to a cabin, and it's Halloween night, they decide to use a Ouija board, and it's based on a real case. Now, I know that people throw those words around, like based on a true story or whatnot, but supposedly this is a real thing that happened to these friends, and one girl ended up getting possessed. The problem is, it isn't very good. At all. Well, there are some things I like about it, but... And I don't get that. It's... Nothing happens. They did They did use real film stock to make that film. So I give them props for Yay. that. Well, that's something that's expensive. So I, I give them props for that. I enjoyed quite a few scenes in it, but it, it does drag. And in the end, really nothing happens. Uh, it, it's... It's just not very good. It is poorly made. It is very poorly acted. It has incredible amounts of padding where scenes just run on and on and on. And ultimately, the biggest damning thing I can say about it is it's god-awful boring. It's over an hour and a half. Well, how long was it? No, it was right at an hour and a half. Okay, Almost well, exactly there we go. It's 90 minutes of nothing. Nothing happens unless you count, you know, people cooking fish or sitting around a picnic table or looking out a window or walking down a dock. I mean, just the most mundane bullshit is highlighted. They did do something interesting, and you even said it was interesting. During the Ouija board scene, they used blindfolds. That was neat. Was kind of neat. They, uh, The people who were actually participating with the Ouija board had blindfolds on, and then they had another, a third person that was transcribing the answers. So, 
but they actually abandoned that pretty quickly. Yeah. So the <laughs> one neat thing they had, they got rid of. The, the The movie's not good. It's not filmed well. It's not, you know, interesting. It is, it's a garbage film. It really is. It's a waste of time. I'm I wouldn't go that mad. far, but I'm still mad that it. you made us watch it. Oh, we'll live. Yeah, I want my 90 minutes back. All right, so what I ended up settling on is a film that Brian got for review on Blu-ray a couple years ago. Yep. We from, watched it. It comes from Scream Factory. Yeah, uh, we watched it then. We both liked it. Yes. And I have heard zero people talk about it. Not one person have I heard mention this film. Now, yeah. when you posted about it, there were several people who said, you know, solid movie. I liked it. You know, a lot of people commented on your on your review. Yes. But I've never heard a podcast talk about it. No. It definitely went under a lot of people's radar for whatever reason. And that's a shame because this is a solid film. It is a really good film. And I thought it was you know, worth bringing forward. Also, it's from, it's directed and written by Chad Archibald, who is the same guy who made Bite. Oh, well that... Which is an excellent body yes. horror film that we just recently talked about on the Colossal, Colossal Collection. Collection. yep. So, uh, it's called I'll Take Your Dead, and it's from 2018. Uh, currently, I don't know where it's available other than on the Scream Factory disc. It's Probably streaming front somewhere. I just, I didn't actually look. I usually try to look it up, and I didn't this time. Yeah, since we have the Blu-ray, we just put that on. Uh, oh, you know what? I did when we went to watch it. And um, it is available for rent or purchase on just about every streaming site you can think of. But it's not streaming for free anywhere. It stars Aiden Devine, Ava Preston, and Jess Salguero... Uh, just to name the three main people. And the story is a man, played by Aiden Devine, runs a farm, but he also has a bit of a side business where he disposes of dead bodies for gang members. And we come to find out later on in the film how he got involved in that and why he does it. But he lives on this farm with his little girl, who is 12 years old. And one day... Uh, he gets a delivery of bodies to dispose of, and it turns out that one of those bodies isn't as dead as they thought she was. So he's not a bad man, and he saves her. And that's this is the interesting thing about this film is that you're you're talking about <laughs> a story in which a man, the main character, is someone who disposes of dead bodies for criminals. for criminals. That's that's what he does. So if you look at it as kind of like a he's almost like an anti-hero like a like a Walter White or a Tony Soprano or someone that does bad things but at in but there's a good reason that they do them. Kind of, but even in that regard, he's not all that bad. He doesn't kill anyone. He doesn't hurt anyone. He just gets rid of the, well, the garbage, the the bodies. I mean, technically, yes, it's illegal. And you can say it's immoral because he's chopping up bodies and dissolving them in acid or whatever. But he was kind of forced into it. He was. This and, is not a choice that he made. You know, it's... 
he's not hurting anybody. He's just getting rid of the bodies. Yeah. And so morally, it's there's a little bit of a gray area, but you do find out that he actually is a really, really good guy. Yes. He's a good father who loves his daughter very much. And they also have a bit of a ghost problem in this house from all of these dead gangbangers that have ended up on this farm. And that gives you some really creepy imagery. I think the ghosts in this film are very effective. Yes. Like, it's downright scary. And it's important to point out that the daughter sees the ghosts, not the dad. Yeah. And she's seen them for a while, and she even talks to some of them, the nice ones, I guess. But yeah, she's very much, you know, I see dead people. A lot. And the daughter, Gloria, played by Ava Preston, she is really good. Yes, she is a little girl here, but unlike other movies with child actors, she's pretty good. She holds her own. Yeah, she's very good. I like her character. I love their relationship. The dad almost has a bit of a J.K. Simmons feel going on yeah. for me at times. Like I really like him. I am not familiar with Aiden Devine as an actor. He's an older man, so he may have been acting for a very long time, but I don't know him or his name from anything, but I really, really liked him. One of my friends on Facebook called him Jeremy Renner in like 20 years. Oh, well. And I can kind of I, see no, that. I can, kinda looks I can like definitely see that, yeah. Uh, also, uh, the other main character, Jess Salguero, who plays Jackie, the woman that is not dead, I really liked her as well. Interesting bit about her, I just found out. The new game, the new Far Cry game, Far Cry 6, that's just coming out, she plays the main character in it. Nice. As, you know, a voice actor, obviously, but yeah, she supplies the voice. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I really, really liked her, too. The acting in this is really good. I, it's There are zero complaints about that. The movie looks fantastic. Yes. This farm is placed out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by snow, and it, it gives a very isolated feel, and it's very creepy. Uh, I enjoy it quite a bit, and it's just as much a family drama as it is a horror film. Also, a crime drama. Yes. It's very much a crime drama meets a horror movie. There's gangbangers and violence and shooting and stuff like that, but then there's also ghosts. Ghosts and scary ghosts. Yeah. And they play a big part at the end. I will also say, this film makes me cry. <laughs> Both times surprise. we've watched this movie, I have bawled at the end. Yeah. Because it has, a, it has a lot of heart. It really does. It does. So I recommend this film. If you haven't seen it, if you've never heard of it, I highly recommend that you seek it out and watch it. I, it's totally worth your time. I love it. Um, Ryan, do you have anything more to say? It's a unique film. I like films that have a unique voice and also a unique story. It's a dude that you know cuts up and disposes of bodies for gangbangers and criminals and the little girl happens to see ghosts and that's an awesome idea and also this little girl has been exposed to a lot she knows what her father oh, yeah. does there are no secrets in this house she knows exactly who he is and what his reputation is because he has a reputation oh yeah he is the candy butcher candy butcher which 
I gotta say, it's kind of a dumb name. But well, I think it's because he eats suckers while he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, but I mean, how would the streets know about that? Well, that's true. But Supposedly, I, I think, if I recall correctly, they call him the Candy Butcher because to him, these are what the gangbangers are saying, so oh, yeah. of course it's like an urban legend. But they're like, to him... The blood is so sweet. And I'm like, oh, geez. Well, they also have stories about how he eats people. Or and, sews and, bodies together. Yeah, you know, like, like Frankenstein. And, and he's, he's very much like a boogeyman. And, and he, he doesn't do anything to correct those stories. No. Which honestly is smart. Yeah. Because you want people to be afraid of you in that situation. Well, you know? yeah, he deals with killers and stuff. No nice people are going to be coming to his house. <laughs> but I really like stories where there is a moral gray area. Yeah. And that if the filmmaker is able to make you give a damn about the character and what they're going through and their arc, and while there is simultaneously a moral gray area, then you generally have got me on your side. Mm-hmm. Also, I really like Bite. Um, Chad Archibald. Archibald has 10 directing credits, and of his 10 credits, I've only seen these two films. But it kind of makes me want to seek out the other ones and see what else he's done. Yeah, I wouldn't mind watching. I mean, so far, he is, you know, two for two from what I know of him. Yeah. And I really like the climax at the end. It's, again, a mix of action and horror. And I dig that. So, yeah, this is a damn good movie that just no one ever talks about for yeah. whatever the reason. And that's a shame. More people should. Yes. I, yeah. You definitely uh, could do worse than seeking out this film. Uh, like, you know, I am Zozo. That would be worse. Yes, I'd be that much would... <laughs> worse. <laughs> okay, well, that's it for my movie. What uh, what are you bringing, Brian? Okay, in my never-ending quest to go down the path of cosmic horror all through the alphabet, I had a few choices for I. Easily, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is In the Mouth of Madness by John Carpenter. Which... I actually suggested that he even consider doing just because he name checks it so often yes. that it would be interesting to do a full review on it. But he wanted to do something a little more less hidden. known. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows In the Mouth of Madness. If not, you really should. Uh, famously, that was a movie I really didn't like when I first saw it. But over the years, I've warmed up to it constantly. And now, I actually like it quite a bit. It still gets a few things wrong that, you know irk me, but overall, it's a damn good film. But again, everybody knows about it. Now, another movie I was kind of toying around with until I saw it was something called Intersect from 2020. And this is very cosmic horror, aka Lovecraftian. I mean, it takes, it takes place at Miskatonic University. A bunch of students discover a time machine but they also discovered that outside forces are manipulating them. They have their own designs for this machine that they made and kind of fed them the idea to make it. And all that sounds awesome. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Now, this isn't a horrible movie, but it's not a very good one either. It's overlong at two hours. Yeah, it does not need to be two no. hours. That way it dragged. And there was a lot of, there was, this was the film where there was a flashback within a flashback yeah. within a flashback within, I, th I, th I want to say, no lie, I want to say there were like five 
flashbacks within flashbacks. I don't know about that. I want to say three to four, but you could be right. I did. I lost. I count. just kept counting them, and I'm like this, and it's just when you start doing that, it gets so convoluted, and. The idea is very interesting, yes. but I honestly think that they drowned in their own ideas. Oh, yeah. Like they just had so many things that they wanted to try to do, and it just became too much. The direction is nothing to write home about. The acting isn't all that great. No. But the biggest thing for me was uh, mostly the. It was overstuffed. It was padded. It had no reason to be two hours long. But even if they cut a whole bunch out, I still don't think it would have been a good movie, but it would have been a better one. So I can't recommend that, and that kind of made me sad because I just discovered this, I never heard of it, and I was like, ooh, I'll bring something new to the table, but nah, no. Well, it's one of those indie direct-to-video movies yes. that no one would have otherwise heard of, and and. I love finding stuff yes. like that, and unfortunately, it just wasn't. And I love the poster, even. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't love the movie. So I finally ended up with this little gem from 1979. It's an Italian horror film, so right away I'm excited. It's by Sergio Martino, and if that name rings a bell, that's because. He did a whole bunch of exploitation flicks back around the 80s. I always liked the Hands of Steel, which are some post-apocalyptic yeah, wannabe Mad Max with arm wrestling <laughs> adventure. I think that's actually... Don't we have that movie? Didn't uh, we yeah. cover it in one of our box sets? Yeah, I, yeah. I do legitimately enjoy that film. I wouldn't say it's good, but it is fun. But this movie is The Island of of the Fishmen, which is an awesome title, I gotta say. Originally, the title is something very long and in Italian, but since I don't speak Italian at all, I'm not even gonna try to pronounce it. But I we... do, but I won't show you up. Okay, well, thank you. You're very <laughs> considerate. But an important side note is this movie was distributed in the U.S. by Roger Corman. And in typical Roger Corman fashion, Island of the Fishmen wasn't a sensational enough title for him, I guess. So, he called the movie Screamers. Which is how I originally saw the film. If you were in video stores in the 80s, you seen the box art for Screamers. You must have, because it was everywhere. But it was also called... Something Waits in the Dark, which is another box I saw all the time. So Brian's always bringing the title, the movies with the multiple titles. Yeah, I just I love the fact that if you went to a video store, you could have picked up the movie Screamers, and you could have picked up something called Something Waits in the Dark, and it would have been the same movie. Because <laughs> I remember both those boxes. The Screamers one was like some guy who was like all red. I think it was supposed to be skinned or something like that, but which is silly because they don't skin anyone in here. Although there is a lot of gore. Yeah, there is a surprising amount of gore. And the Something Waits in a Dark box was like a hand with one curved claw coming up and some eyes set behind it like he was looking at his own claw. I mean, I can vividly recall these boxes. And they were the exact same movie. I just... I. I kind of love that, and I kind of hate that, too. Incidentally, when 
Scream came out in 1996, they got sued by a film called Screamers. And I remember the I remember the news story, and I brought it up to Brian. And then I actually did some research and realized, oh, because all these years, all these years, 25 years, I have thought that this is the film that was suing Scream. No, it actually is a different film called Screamers that came out in <laughs> 1995, which I guess makes more sense. But back then, I, wonder, I thought they were referring to this movie. I wonder if that was the Peter Weller film. I believe it was, yeah. With the little robot things in the grounds. I think so, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, I just thought that was kind of funny. And I was like, oh yeah, that's the movie that sued Scream. Well, then it turns out, no, it's not. It was a different Screamers. But all these years, for 25 years, <laughs> I thought they sued this movie, or this movie sued Scream. But no, it was a totally different thing. But that's an interesting story if you haven't heard about it. I just thought that was kind of funny. The title's too similar. It's really not. I mean, a lot of movies have the same title, you yeah. know? I mean, similar, I don't even think is that big of a deal. But And Screamers is kind of a generic title. I could see a lot of horror movies having that. Sure. But anyway, we are talking about this one under the Island of the Fishmen because so, it's letter I. So. Yes. Also, that was the original title. Yes. As for this story, it is... It's got to be influenced to hell and back by an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Shadow Over Innsmouth. My favorite. It's a damn good one. And actually, if you go to IMDb and you look up this movie, it does say, based on the story Shadow Over Innsmouth, uncredited. Now... Based on is kind of... That's a little... It's not... I mean, it's not close enough to no. be based on it. I mean, it's and also, inspired by... Yeah. IMDb... Anybody can put whatever they want on there. So that doesn't mean this is 100% gospel. But it is about fishmen wanting to do the nasty to a woman. And just, it's very, it very much seems like Innsmouth. Or at least another story told in that universe. Honestly, considering this was, a, this was distributed by Corman in the United States, I'll bet that Humanoids from the Deep was more inspired by this film than this film was inspired by Lovecraft. Could be. Like, I mean, obviously it was inspired by it, but I mean, to me, the similarities between this and Humanoids are far closer than the similarities between this and Innsmouth. No, but, but it's one of those things where, you know, whenever you have a whole bunch of these humanoid fish dudes that are eating people and wanting to do the nasty with the women, and there's usually people who know about them and, you know, are trying to keep a secret and so on and so forth, it does throw back, it does remind you of the Lovecraft story because he is probably, even before, like, Creature from the Black Lagoon, which a lot of people could point to, that could be inspired by Innsmouth. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not even saying he was the first one to write stories about, you know, horny fishmen. <laughs> but just, he, as I always say, he left a big, long, dark shadow in the horror world. A lot of people read his stuff, and a lot of people were inspired by it. And because it's in the public domain, a lot of people just rip him off. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of films out there that are based off his work that don't give him any credit. I will say, in this film, the 
trying to get it with the women is very backseat. I mean, it that's is, not, but that's not what this. Whereas, like in humanoids, yes. that's all it's about. Yeah, they just... <laughs> this is. I mean, it's kind of obvious that they are attracted to Catherine Bach. I mean, uh, Barbara. Barbara Bach. Bach. Yep. Well, because who wouldn't be? She's hot. Uh, she's beautiful. She's a very beautiful woman. And she was a Bond girl. And they are clearly attracted to her. She kind of has them under her spell, but there's also a reason for that. Because they like milk. But, um... Who doesn't? <laughs> it does a body good. But more so than that, it's about, uh, like, scientific experiments and, like, but mutations. Also, but also an ancient underwater continent, the lost city of Atlantis. I mean, that's pure Lovecraft 101. But anyways, as for the story, there is an island somewhere. I don't think they say if it's in the Pacific or the Atlantic, but I always thought it was Pacific. They have some, like, Pacific Islander-looking people on there. It originally starts with some people coming to the island looking for treasure, and then one by one, they're ripped open by these fish dudes. You don't see them, but you get to see their claws and stuff like that. And you get a lot of good gory kills. A lot. And there's a lot of body horror, too. Yeah. It's, it's very gooey. Uh, we now jump ahead to the main story, and it's important to point out this is also a period piece. It's set in the 18, I think 1890s or 1880s, and there was a prison ship, and it sank. And one of the prison guards freed some of the prisoners, and now they're in a lifeboat trying to, you know, get saved, and they come across this island. Mm -hmm. Naturally, they all go, yay, we're saved, and they start running around, and fortunately, there's poison water. There's some of these fish dudes that don't like strangers. And then they happen to find a, a big house, a beautiful woman riding a horse, played by Barbara Bach, and one guy with an awesome English accent. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like James Mason from Salem's Lot. That's who I keep picturing every time he talks. But even more extreme. I don't know if that's his real voice or if that's an exaggerated one. I don't know much he of... He is actually a... Uh, he was a prolific actor. He did a lot. But he does that. It's so British. It's that, you know... So, <laughs> like, the, the... It is the epitome of, like, a parody of a British accent. I want to I want to ask our British listeners if they ever see this movie. Uh, if this is a real accent. Because it seems so, like... Oh, what are you doing? Yes? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. so, what are you doing? I mean, it's, it's so... <laughs> it's supposed to be aristocratic. Yeah, but it's like it's, posh, I guess. But you just... It's just like, so, there you are. So, I mean, I, it's terrible what I'm doing, but... Yes, it is it's, terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> it's so funny because every time he talks i'm just like oh and and how many times did i do that like yeah. while we're watching the movie i'm just like yeah like you can't help it it's it it just compels you to 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 do an impression you have to you don't have a choice but it's very entertaining yes anyways this guy he is in charge of the island and he's not a doctor or anything he's just a dude from england who happens to live on this island and he controls some native-like enforcers. And he's like, you're not welcome here. Go away. But they're like, where can we go? We're kind of stuck. 
So he begrudgingly takes them in, but for some ulterior motives. Well, because he finds out that the one guy is a doctor. Yeah, the guy who freed the prisoners, he's actually the ship's doctor. So he's like, oh, a doctor? I could use you. And then you get to see more of the fish dudes, and you get to see them more close up, and I really like their costume. Uh, the costumes. They look so good. Yes. I'm kind of goofy, but in a great way. They're really, really good. I love them. I, I think they're phenomenal. And then, like I said, it's very gooey, and there are some really good practical effects oh, yeah. throughout. Lots of gore. Well, I mean, it's Italian horror. I mean, come on. Yeah. And they do it upright. Eventually, the, you know, snotty English dude takes the other guy into his confidence, goes, look, come in my bathosphere, and they go underwater, and he shows them this whole underground city, and he says, this is Atlantis, and there's a temple, and in that temple is a whole shitload of gold, and these fish people you've been seeing, and that's been killing people, I got them under control, because I have a doctor here who made some formula and it gets them, it treats it like a drug. And so they're docile and they do what they say. And I'm having them go inside the temple and bring me out the gold in exchange for the drug. And Barbara Bach, who is the daughter of the doctor, she's the only one that can deal with the fish people. It's like they like her, they, they really like her. And she's the one who always gives them their drug, and she kind of controls them. And this guy has the other doctor, which you do finally get to meet. A bit of a mad scientist. He's but kinda, he has a noble. He's kind of, well, like, the best mad scientist. He's doing it for good reasons, but he's still a mad scientist. I mean, hell, Frankenstein had his reasons. The snively English dude's like, look, you help me out. You keep this other doctor alive because he's hurt and he's dying. You keep them alive just long enough for me to get all the gold out of there. And I'll keep you alive, and I'll even give you some of my gold. Our hero is like, yeah, sure, but he doesn't really mean it. He's trying to get the hell out of here. And then everything goes to hell. Eventually, the fishmen revolt. You find out the secret behind them. And I gotta say, I wasn't a fan of that. I liked the idea when it was, we found this ancient city and this ancient race of these fish dudes and I got him under my thumb. I like the reveal. But then you find out that he's been turning people into the fish dudes. It's a spoiler. It's a spoiler for a movie from 1979. Yeah, but it's a good spoiler. I I like it. I think the 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 moment when you when we realize or the moment that allows them to realize what's happening is one of the most effective moments in the film, I think. Uh, I don't. I think it takes away from the film. Me, personally. I do like the idea. Eventually, they see one of their friends in the process of becoming a fish dude. And the makeup on him is really good. I really... Because he's not full-on fish guy yet, but he's definitely not human. He's something in between. And it looks really good on him. But yeah, uh, Six Scientist has figured a way to turn people into fish guys. And the greedy English dude is masterminding all of this just so he can get paid. And he has a boat full of gold. Naturally, things go south. The fish dudes rise up and even Barbara Bach can't control them anymore. And lots of blood and mayhem ensue. 
It is a little slow at times. It can be. But I think it's worth it uh, just for the... the I, I really like the story. I really like the performances, even with, you know, Snidely Whiplash over yeah. there. And I, I love the the effects. I love the practical effects in this film. It's Yeah, really, the practical really effects are awesome, be it the gore gags or the fish dudes. I like... I was never bored by this film. I, I, I never thought it was slow. Even, like, in the beginning, the hero and his prisoner buddies are wandering through the jungle just discovering stuff. And not everything is paid off. Like, they find this graveyard that's been all dug up, all the bodies removed, but they never explore that. Like, why were the bodies missing? The only thing I can figure is maybe that's how he started his... Like he was turning corpses into fish dudes? But that doesn't really make any sense because... You know, if, if it's dead tissue, yeah, you can't really do anything with it. But there's the bit in the very beginning. In the very beginning. This, the corpses in the cave. Yeah, there's a, there's a straight up zombie. It's like, you know, you got fish dudes eating everybody and killing everybody. And just in case that wasn't enough, a dead body, a long skeletal like dead body suddenly gets up. I think that's supposed to be indicative of his experimentation. Maybe. They don't explain it, but it's Italian. Yeah. <laughs> they don't... Um, it's in English language, by the way. But Yes. They don't explain it, but I kind of feel that's where they were going with that because it's the only thing that makes any sense, even though that doesn't really make any sense because you can't really do mutation on dead tissue. But we're talking about, you know, a, a movie in which a guy has found a way to turn human beings into fish people, so... Uh, whatever. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of to make that even remotely make sense. I guess. But it just... It's a fun creature feature flick. Lots of gore. Um, unfortunately, Barbara Bach does not get naked in it, and that made me upset. Because <laughs> she is legit gorgeous. Uh, I pretty much like everybody in here, even the one English dude with his outrageous accent. I liked him. He was a bit over the top, but he played a good bad guy. No, he did. He was he was a very good bad guy. And yeah, when I say it dragged a little bit, there's just a, there's a bit in the like almost dead center where things just move at a slower pace, and it it's you kind of want to. I, I just found myself going, okay, you know, there's a lot of walking around, there's a lot of talking that I felt could have just been sped up a little bit. But even then, I was never bored. Like I, I really like this film. I was never bored at all. But it, um, I just felt like it maybe was a little bit longer than it needed to be. Yeah, it could have been. But uh, I do recommend it. It is not really legitimately cosmic horror. But again, it's close enough. Uh, I've always enjoyed this one. It's weird fiction. It, it, it is definitely weird fiction. So yeah, that can, I guess that counts. But, uh, yeah, uh, if you've never seen this one under any of the many titles, I do highly recommend it. It is a very fun time. And, just like the last movie, I don't hear too many people talking about it. No. No. And, and we actually found it on... Where'd you find it? Well, we have a disc of it, but I believe it's on YouTube or something. It Just look for Island of the Fishmen you'll be able to find it. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like... I was thinking, I know we have a disc, but I didn't 
did we watch the disc that we have? Or did I you find remember. it somewhere else? I don't remember. But when, yeah, I recommend it. If you haven't seen it, it like we said, it has it's a good story. It has some really, really, really good gooey special effects. And I mean, because the way that these fish guys take out people, it's pretty brutal. Oh yeah. I mean, it's it's vicious. Like in the very beginning of the film, like the first couple of minutes, a dude gets his head knocked off and it is just blood spurting <laughs> everywhere. I mean, it's just one of those where like, you're like, yeah, because it's fun. He actually gets it ripped off and it's a good meaty rip. There's like flesh tearing and all that. It's it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I recommend it. It's fun. Not much more to say than good Italian horror film. More people need to see it. And uh, we hope you do, too. All right. And as usual, if you do watch these films, or if you already know them, drop a comment and let us know what you think. And we are now going to move on to this episode of Bumps in the Night, where this time Brian has found some horror quizzes to see if we are true horror nerds. So stay I'm, tuned to find out. I'm betting I am. <laughs> we'll see. Bumps in a Night. For this Bumps in the Night, Brian has something special that he found. Why don't you tell us about it, Brian? I saw this floating around on Twitter, I think, and so I looked into it, and it looked promising. I didn't read all the questions or whatever, but it is a horror quiz... Once again, I think the last thing I brought was by BuzzFeed. Mm -hmm. And this is also BuzzFeed. And as I've said before, I'm usually not a fan of BuzzFeed. I think they're kind of stupid. But in both, you know, last case and this one, it seems like it might be kind of fun. There's only 15 questions, and the title of the article is, If you get 14 out of 15 on this trivia quiz, you're a true horror nerd. Okay, yeah, but this is also coming from BuzzFeed, yes. so... So they give us, you know. they let us, you know, mess up once. So if we can get 14 out of 15, we're still true horror nerds, baby. Okay, well that's good to know. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a question, and then each question has four answers, so it's multiple choice. But the answers, there are black boxes with just the answer, and I assume once you click whatever is your answer... It'll tell you if you're right or wrong. This way, I don't know what the answer is either. Unless I just happen to know the answer. Do you think I should bother keeping score? I guess, if you want. But I think this way, it'll allow the listeners to play along with us. Okay. Well, grab a pen for me and I'll actually keep score. I don't know that it'll be necessary, but we shall see. Maybe they're going to pull something out I don't expect. Maybe they'll be able to <clears throat> stump us. Just briefly looking through the quiz at a first couple questions, I saw some that were really, really easy, but I found a few that seemed pretty tough. Okay. It looked like a lot of inside knowledge, like not necessarily about the horror movies or horror in general, but you would have to know 
the background of what this person was thinking when they made the movie. Okay. If that makes sense. Okay, well, let's get into it. It might be fun. Okay, here we go. Question number one. How many Halloween movies have there been to date? And this was posted in October of 2020. Okay. So it should be up to date, not including this new Halloween Kills that's coming out this year. Okay. I'm assuming they mean the entire, like, all Halloween movies, not, like, as in, not just Michael Myers movies? Well, they don't give an explanation. They just say, how many Halloween movies have there been to date? Okay. And the answers are 7, no. 11, 13, 17. What do you think it is? Okay, well, if I'm including uh, Halloween 3, because they don't say not to, then with H2O, that's 7. Add the two zombie movies, that's 9. Then 2018 is 10. Oh, and Resurrection, 11. So you say 11? Yes. I also say 11. And that was correct. It is 11. Okay, that's one for you and one for me. Question number two. In what year was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre released? 1974. Well, let me read the answers. Oh, sorry. You could have ruined it now for our (laughs) listeners. I could be wrong. 1969, 1973, The Exorcist director, William Friedkin, say was the most terrifying he had ever seen. The Exorcist, which would be some self-promotion shit, (laughs) but it's not above William Friedkin. (laughs) A Quiet Place, Bird Box, The Babadook. Huh. Those are all new. Recent films. Okay. Um, so did he pimp his own movie or did he pick one of the rest? I mean, he could have that actually, it does sound like William Friedkin. That could be a reasonable (laughs) answer. Like, Hey, I made this movie and it's the most terrifying movie I've ever seen. But I think if that was the case, then the three other films probably wouldn't be so recent. Okay. So, and this is honestly, this is something I don't know. I'm purely guessing because I have not talked to William Friedkin about what he thinks is the most terrifying film he's ever seen. No. And I've never heard an interview. I'm sure he said it. Well, let's be, you know, 100% honest. This is BuzzFeed's quiz. I accept no responsibility for the validity of it. So if you had heard something else, take it up with them. But according to this quiz... Which movie did he say was the most terrifying he'd ever seen? The Exorcist, A Quiet Place, Bird Box, The Babadook. I could honestly see either of those three, but for whatever reason, Bird Box is the first thing that stuck out to me. You choose Bird Box? Okay. I'm going to go with The Babadook. I almost did that. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just guessing. I'm shooting in the dark. Let's see. 
It was the Babadook! Aww, Yay man. for me! That sucks, you're a point ahead of me! Well, this is another one that you'd have to know the inside info to know. Which comedian, this is question four, by the way, which comedian inspired Jordan Peele to write Get Out? Eddie Murphy, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, Robin Williams. Dave Chappelle. I have no idea why. That just It's the first thing I thought. <laughs> he seems like he would be pals of Chappelle. Well, also, I just think that that film touches on some themes that we've seen in his comedy over the years. Maybe. Okay. That's a... Tell you what, I'm going to just guess, too, because I have no idea, but I'm going to also pick Dave Chappelle. Let's see if we're right or wrong. Wrong! Oh, it was Eddie Murphy. <gasps> no, that means that means I'm not a horror nerd. Well, no, you're allowed to... Oh, no, you missed two. Yep, you're not a horror nerd, baby. Oh. Sucks to be you. Now, as I said, there were some brain-dead easy questions, too. Here's one of those. In which movie does Jason Voorhees first wear his iconic hockey mask? Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th Part 2, Friday the 13th Part 3, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Do I really gotta ask you? No, Friday the 13th Part 3. Yes. And wow, that was correct. Here's one for the literary fans. Which of these movies is not based on a book? Psycho, Rosemary's Baby, Hereditary, The Ring. Okay, well, two of those four I've read and we own. Yes. <laughs> so I know. Um, the last two, I'm actually going to say... Oh, no. Damn it. Never mind. I just shot myself in the foot. Uh... Okay, obviously, Psycho and Rosemary's Baby are right out. Don't ruin it for listeners. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking myself through this here. Okay. Um, the Ring... Being originally Japanese, I don't know what it was based on. Well, everybody Initially, knows. I was going to say, no, not that it was based on it. But then that, but I'm thinking of The Grudge. Mm. Um, well, when you all know the Japanese don't have books. No, what I'm saying is, <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't know necessarily. Yep, that's true. But with Hereditary, I haven't heard mention of a book. I feel like I would have. I feel like by at this point I would have read it, <laughs> but that doesn't mean anything necessarily. I, I'm i going to say hereditary. That's what I go with, too. And it's correct. Yay! Yeah, I knew that one. Well, yeah. Next question. I already lost count. <laughs> you have to do like Charlotte. Next question. Okay. Who was the star of The Birds? Grace Kelly, Tippi Hedren, Janet Leigh, Joan Fontaine. Tippi Hedren. Yes. And officially, yes, that is a correct answer. Which movie gave John Travolta his very first film role? The Devil's Reign, Carrie, The Omen, or Suspiria? Was he in The Devil's Reign? Well, he wasn't in Suspiria or The Omen either, so I guess, okay, he Carrie. Could've, he could have had a part in it. 
In what? <laughs> One of those. Oh. I get Carrie. I just... Okay. At first I was like, was he in Devil's Rejects? What? That's your pick. Here's the thing. I know for a fact he was in Devil's Reign. I just, I can't remember which came out well, first. Well, see, I, I remember William Shatner and I remember remember Ernest yep. Borgnine. He has I a small if role, I, remember John I think. I think he does. I could be wrong, could be somebody else, but I think he's in Devil's Reign. And I think that came out before Carrie. I'm going to go with that one. Let's see if I'm a horror nerd or not. You're going with Devil's Reign? I'm going with okay. Devil's I'm Reign. I'm still going with Carrie. Carrie seems like the obvious choice, but... Oh. Boom! Oh, shit! The Devil's Reign. Oh, yeah. I don't even remember him in that movie. Well, like I said, he has a small part, but I remember he was in it. Next question. Next question. <laughs> what is the main character's name in the Blair Witch Project? Rebecca? Heather? Courtney? Or Blair? Well, I mean, it is called the Blair Witch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty obvious. It's Heather. Yes, it is. And yes, it is. Officially, that is the answer. Which movie was the first horror film they don't say that, but whatever. Maybe the British. That was going to say, it, <laughs> if they're British, then that's why. Which movie was the first horror to be nominated for a Best Picture Oscar? The Shining, Silence of the Lambs, Psycho, The Exorcist. I don't know if Psycho... I doubt Psycho was nominated. I doubt it was. I don't recall ever hearing that. I know The Exorcist got a lot of nominations. I don't remember if Best Picture was one. Well, actually, this question should be fraudulent because everybody knows The Silence of the Lambs is not a horror movie. <laughs> it's a thriller. <laughs> mm, you know what? I'm going to say... Oh, God. I'm going to get struck down. But I'm going to say The Exorcist. See, here's my reasoning. I know it can't be The Shining, or I'll be surprised if it well, was. Well, no, it got Razzies, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, because for some stupid fucking reason, the idiots at the Razzies... <laughs> and they are. They're, they're, they're complete morons. But they decided that that movie was Razzie-worthy. Which it is so not. Silence of the Lambs is the obvious choice, because it actually won. Yeah, Psycho wasn't nominated. But I can't remember if The Exorcist... It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, and that was like a big thing, because mm -hmm. it's a horror film. And it was before Silence of the Lamps. I just can't remember if it was nominated for Best Picture or not. Wait, uh, hang on, let me think. Uh, that was 1973. I was trying to think if I yeah. could remember what was... <sighs> yeah, I got... No, I, don't, uh, I don't know. I'm going to say The Exorcist, just because... So am I. It, it did get a lot of recognition. I can't remember. And see, that's usually the kind of thing I know. Like, I... Yeah, I'm disappointed in you. I know. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I just can't. I can't... No. I can't think if it was or not, but... I'm going to go for it. I'm going to pick The Exorcist. And... It Yay! is The Exorcist. Yay! Next question. Who was the killer in Scream 2? Cotton Weary... Mrs. Loomis, Billy Loomis, Charlie Walker. Well, that there are two. Yes. 
Which was one of them. I just don't like the way they worded that I question know. because there were two killers. They should it should have said who was, was a one killer. of the killers yeah. in Scream Two. Uh, Mrs. Loomis. Yes, and correct. Which movie is this quote from? Be afraid. Be very afraid. The Fly. Jaws. Pet Cemetery. The Howling. The Fly. Yes, and yes. Who is the first character to get possessed in The Evil Dead? Ooh, that's actually a good one. Linda, Cheryl, Scott, Shelley. Well, it has to be Cheryl. She's the one who ends up in the basement. Linda, Cheryl, Scott, Shelley. Cheryl. That's also my pick. It's one of those things where it seems so obvious that it should be wrong. But that, well, that, yeah, that's why I'm like, wait a minute, I'm starting to doubt myself I know. because it's so but obvious. But that's what I'm going to go with, and boom, Yay. correct. Who directed it? Follows Ari Aster, David Robert Mitchell, Robert Eggers, David S. Sandberg. F. Oh yeah, the <laughs> David. F. Sandberg. David Robert Mitchell. That's who I also pick, and... Correct. Now this one... This is going to be a shot in the dark for me. Which is generally regarded as the first horror film? So we're talking way back. The Cave of the Demons? Faust in Hell? The Red Spectre, The House of the Devil. The House of the Devil. That's your pick? Yes. For me, it's either, and I can't remember, because it's so freaking long ago, either Faust in Hell or The House of the Devil. But I will follow your lead. You better not have screwed me. I will go with The House of the Devil. Yes! And that's it. Oh, okay. I am not surprised I knew the answer to that. Oh, good job. And good on you for trusting me. All right. What did I get? Okay, final score. You have 14. I'm a true horror nerd. Look at me. And what did you get? my final score, 13. You're a poser. Yeah, that's not <laughs> fair. Asking behind the scenes questions is not fair. They're like, I, they're, how in the hell would I ever know unless I read an interview? Yeah, you would have to have read an interview or seen a behind-the-scenes featurette or some crap to uh, get it. Anyways, that was fun, I thought. Yeah, that was good stuff. Okay, since that one went by so quick, I mean, it was only 15 questions, I have another one. This is from the website Goliath. I don't know who the hell they are, so I don't know if they're jerks or not, but I saw this quiz. Some of the questions seemed really easy. But maybe they'll get better. <laughs> Hopefully. What's it called? It just... The Ultimate Horror Movie Quiz. Oh, okay. So this is ultimate, baby. Is this the kind of thing I should keep score for? If you want. And just like the other one, it gives you the question, then it gives you four choices, multiple choice. You pick which one you want, and it probably tells you yes or no. Do we know how many questions there are? Uh, just out of curiosity. Uh, no idea. It looks know. like quite a few. So, but some of these are real easy. Okay. Anyways, here we go. What is the name of the killer clown in Stephen King's It? 
Bozo, Captain Spaulding, Pennywise, Mr. Mime. Pennywise. Okay, yes. Mr. Mime. Mr. Mime, my love. And wow, it was Pennywise. What is the name of the main villain in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Leatherface, Pinhead, Ghostface, Slicey McStabby. <laughs> oh my god! And he got away by jumping on Bodie McBoatface. Ah, <laughs> uh, Leatherface. Yes, it's... Officially, you are right. Here's Johnny. What is the name of the hotel where The Shining takes place? The Grand Frontier, the Overwatch Hotel, Glacier Peak, Overlook Hotel. Overlook. Yep. And yes, of course. What was the name of the infamous fishing boat used in the climactic shark hunt at the end of Jaws? Was it Spellbound, Orca, High Tide, Boy Oh Boy? Orca. Yes. And yes, of course. How does the mostly unseen monster from It Follows decide who to target? I like that It Follows getting some love. Yeah. Um, is it sexual partners? Is it virgins? Is it atheists? Or is it females only? Sexual partners. Yep. And yep. Who was the main protagonist in the Scream series. Dewey Riley, Sidney Prescott, Casey Becker, Cotton Weary. Sidney Prescott. Yep, and yep. Like I said, these seem to be a lot easier. Before he was caught and burned to death by angry townspeople, Freddy Krueger was a serial killer known as the Elm Street Murderer. Ohio State Stabber. <laughs> I like that one, actually. Springwood Slasher. Kitty Killer. Springwood Slasher. Yep. And, yep. I like the Ohio State Stabber. <laughs> Just run around stabbing people. What is the name of the mysterious hypnotic location that Chris finds himself in during Get Out? Was it the teacup? The Sunken Place, The Apple Orchard, The Alternate World. Ah, uh, they should have had the further as an option. Just oh, to, that, kinda, yeah. that might throw people off. I also just noticed that they have a hint option here. Yeah, in Who case these are hints? so hard. <laughs> uh, the Sunken Place. Yes, and yes. The Purge is about a 24-hour period where all crime is legal in America. How often does this happen? Once every six months, once a month, once every five years, once a year. Once a year. Yes, and yes. Yeah, these are pretty easy. <laughs> so far, we'll see. The bad guy in Don't Breathe might be old and blind, but he's hiding a big secret in the basement. What is it? A million dollars? A secret drug operation, a kidnapped woman, stolen government documents. A kidnapped woman. Yep. What does that have to do with him being might be old and blind, but... Uh, just, I guess you wouldn't expect an old blind man to have a kidnapped woman. I don't know. 
And that was the correct answer. Oh, I just noticed, duh. Every time you hit the correct answer, it actually gives you a little bit of information. Like, here it says, correct answer. After his daughter was killed in a car accident, he kidnaps the guilty driver and plans to force her into providing a replacement child. Just in case you didn't know. <laughs> Michael Myers' mask is actually a mask for what Star Trek character? Mr. Spock, Leonard McCoy, Jean-Luc Picard, James T. Kirk. James T. Kirk. Yep. Which film is typically credited as creating the genre of found footage horror movies? Ooh. I guess they better get this right. Not I'm going to be mad. I think they did since they have it as an option. Okay. They have The Blair Witch Project, Cannibal Holocaust, Paranormal Activity, or Cloverfield. Cannibal Holocaust. They better get it right. Yes, good. Cannibal Holocaust. Good job. <laughs> Next question. If you are unlucky enough to watch the cursed videotape in The Ring, you get a phone call. What does the voice on the other end say? You're doomed? If Crazy Ralph calls you. <laughs> Thank you for watching. Seven days. Help me. Aw, thank you for what? They're just appreciative that someone has rented <laughs> their videotape. Be kind. Rewind. <laughs> Seven days. Yep. And yep. Next question. Dr. Hannibal Lecter, an imprisoned cannibalistic serial killer, helps the FBI track down which fictional killer in Silence of the Lambs. Tennessee Ted. I love that name. Kentucky Kyle, that's a good one too. Florida Fred, Buffalo Bill. You know, obviously it's Buffalo Bill, but what is f funny to me is that they named him Buffalo Bill because he skinned his yeah, victims, not, not because, because of the he's city. From Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. But out of all of them, I think it like Florida Fred the best. <laughs> Florida Fred, look out for him. <laughs> but yes, Buffalo Bill is the correct answer. <laughs> Lord of Fred. <laughs> Next question. The Conjuring franchise contains a possessed doll. Who went on to have its own series of spin-off movies? What was the doll's name? Chucky? Samara? Annabelle? Madeline? Annabelle. Yep. And... Yep. There's quite a few. <laughs> That's 15 so far. Oh, okay, well, more than the last one. Here we go. Next question. Everyone knows the original killer in the Saw series as Jigsaw. But what was his real name? Ooh. Dr. Lawrence Gordon? Zepp Hindel? David Tapp? John Kramer? Well, that's obviously a trick question. He never killed anyone. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> he finds murder distasteful. John Kramer. Yep. And, yep. Silence of the Lambs won five different Academy Awards. Which category did not win an Oscar for? Or which category did it not win an Oscar for? Best Supporting Actor? Best Picture? Best Actor? 
Best Actress. I know this one. Well, what's your answer? I'm waiting for yours. That's not fair. You got you got the House of the Devil off me. Okay. Okay. Uh, it swept the big three. I'll give you that. Okay. So supporting actor then. Yeah. Oh, and I wonder. It, see what the see what the hint is. Oh, it's once you correct. Oh, you can't. Yeah, okay. once you get it corrected, the hint just goes away. But yeah, it won Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, and probably some more. In the classic Stephen King adaptation of Carrie, what do the popular students use to bully Carrie at prom? Embarrassing photos, sheep blood, pig blood, cow blood. Pig blood. Yep. Next question. A 12-year-old boy named Oscar meets a young girl his age in Let the Right One In. What supernatural creature does she end up being? A shapeshifter? A vampire? A werewolf? A demon? Vampire. Yep. And yep. Next question. Jason Voorhees wasn't even the killer in the first Friday the 13th movie. No, really? <laughs> and didn't don his famous hockey mask until which sequel? Well, we just answered that. It's part three. What choices did they give, though, since they knocked out... Because uh, okay. the first one included Friday the 13th. This one knocked it out right away. Okay. Uh, they have the final chapter, Jason Lives, okay. part two, part three. Okay. Part three. Part three. The Conjuring film focuses on the careers of which... They should have had quotation marks around real life well, they paranormal are, investigators. They are real life paranormal. They're real life people who just scammed everybody. Uh, was it John Edward, Ed and Lorraine Warren, Sylvia Brown, James Von Prague? And Lorraine Warren. Yep. Next question: Which horror film used the tagline? In space, no one can hear you scream. The Predator, Alien, <laughs> Jason X, <laughs> Pitch Black. Alien. Yep. And, yep. Which movie is often credited as forcing the MPAA to create the PG-13 rating? Was it The Thing, Evil Dead 2, Gremlins... Nightmare on Elm Street. Gremlins. Yep. And, yep. Necronomicon Ex Mortis. Candarian Demons. Boomsticks. Groovy. What franchise are we talking about? Is it The Evil Dead, The Exorcist, The Cabin in the Woods, or Drag Me to Hell? Evil Dead. Yep. I assume this, this quiz must have been made for normies or something like that. Because, I mean, not that I'm, I know everything and I'm you know, a true horror nerd or whatever. But don't these seem just very easy? And they give you a hint button. <laughs> yeah, they give you it. That's what cracks me up is they give you a hint on top of that. Uh, <laughs> Next question. What object is used to signify the gypsy curse in Drag Me to Hell? Was it a coin? A button? 
a cross, or a doll. Button, button, who's got the button? I was going to say that. And yes, correct. Ah, uh, sometimes, dead is better. That's my perfect... <laughs> sounds just like him, don't it? Dead on the money, baby. You, you thought his ghost was in the room. <laughs> it did. Uh, sometimes... Fred Gwynn? <laughs> sometimes... <laughs> sometimes, dead is better. Which horror movie is this famous quote from? Pet Cemetery, Night of the Living Dead, Misery, Creepshow. Pet Cemetery. And yes. And yes. John Carpenter is one of the most famous horror directors. Which movie did he not direct? The Fog, Halloween, The Fly, The Thing. Okay. It's the fly, but I want to, before you click it, see what the hint okay. is. Oh, I guess you hit it and just a window pops up that says, we've eliminated some options for you. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's like, um... Call a friend um, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Who wants to be a millionaire when they knock out the... Okay. Yeah, they left it to Halloween or the fly. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> They might as well just take your hand and... <laughs> and yes, it's the fly. <laughs> Next question. The crazed killer doll in Child's Play is known as Chucky, but is actually possessed by the soul of what fictional serial killer? Ted Matthew Smith? Billy Joe Green? Robbie Thomas? Charles Lee Ray. Well, I was going to say that is a question that could possibly trip up someone who isn't that familiar with the franchise, you know, because they might not know. Yes. Except, which of those names <laughs> would you logically get the nickname Chucky from? <laughs> it's Billy Joe Green. <laughs> Charles Lee Ray. Yep. <laughs> and yes. I mean, they even... They have an opportunity to try to slide one in and they muck it up. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Long before he wears the iconic white mask and jumpsuit, who does Michael Myers kill as a boy? His sister, his mother, his brother, his childhood friend. His sister. Yep. And yep. I think this is the last one. Yes, it is. Which classic... Alfred Hitchcock horror film featured the iconic shower scene. The Birds, Psycho, Rear Window, Frenzy. Psycho. Yep. Dear God, that was easy. Oh, look at me. I got 100%. Woo! I'm a true expert. <laughs> I don't think it requires being a true expert. <laughs> the average score, they give you your score at 100%. And then underneath that gives you the average score of, I guess, everybody who played, 73%. How? I don't know. Again, I can only assume this is for normies, some non-horror fans. All right. I don't know anything about Goliath. Uh, maybe they, maybe it's a children's website. I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, that's an odd, that was 29 questions. Wow. Yeah, why not That's just do 30? Odd, <laughs> unless, I, unless I failed to score for one. 
but I don't think so. Do me a favor, scroll all the way back. I want to see what was that McStabby name for Leatherface? Oh, where was that? Let me give me a second. I think it was like the second one. Slicey McStabby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Run, it's Slicey McStabby. <laughs> that just made my day. Uh. Anyways, those were some quizzes. Uh, we hope you enjoyed playing along with us. We hope you got at least the last one. We really hope you got all the answers. Uh, but hey, no shame here if you didn't. Not everyone can be a true horror nerd. <laughs> I was looking up to see, um, or I was trying to figure out how many questions you'd have to, the average score would miss to get 77%. Oh, what was You it? had to miss seven questions. Wow. I could see missing one. I could see missing two. I don't know how the hell you can miss seven. I mean, seriously, these questions were kind of brain dead. But at least for us. I mean, maybe you didn't get them all. Again, no shame. And, uh, no, we just hope you had some fun. Yeah, and, um... <laughs> Yeah, don't feel bad, because, like, I don't know what William Friedkin thought was the scariest movie he's ever seen, so there's that. That's something. Also, I will say... Well, no, that's what I would have said anyway. I was going back to the Silence of the Lambs, the Oscar thing. I would have guessed that it... Because I thought I remembered it sweeping all the main categories. Because it was, like, a big deal that yeah. year. I mean, it just killed it at the Oscars. So. And that's why it's If a, I had to guess on my own, that's what it would have been. And that's why it's a thriller movie. It's not a horror film. Yes, because everyone knows if you're that good, you, you can't, can't possibly be a, be a horror film. Okay, guys. I hope that was fun. And thank you, Brian, for finding that. That was fun. I always love doing quizzes like that. Yeah, it seemed like it'd be a good time. <laughs> All right. Uh, up next is Colossal Collection. Attack of the Colossal Collection. 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 You ready to jump into the collection? Oh, hell yeah. Always. Okay. Well, uh, why don't you tell us what we've got up first? Okay. First, we're going to do a little bit of backtracking because this movie was in the wrong spot. So, this should have been in the last episode, but anyways. Right now, I'm talking about Black Mountainside from 2014. Now, this movie, I had never seen when it originally came out. It first came out as part of the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, and it got a bunch of buzz. One of my Lovecraft friends, uh, Mike Davis, told me about it. And said I should check it out. And I'm glad he did because I really enjoy this. Uh, here a bunch of scientists are up in the far north of Canada. Out in the wilderness. Nothing but snow and trees. And they happen to find something buried in the ground. It's a temple or some sort of stone structure. But it goes way back in time. Even further back than the Ice Age. And nothing like that obviously should be there. They begin to dig it up and study it, and then strange stuff begins to happen. This is very cosmic horror. This is very Lovecraftian. And I just love it. It has shades of John Carpenter's The Thing, because it's a bunch of guys all isolated, surrounded by snow, and then they start getting paranoid. And they also start going crazy. 
And then weird stuff starts happening. It also has elements that remind me of the ritual. Yes. Very good. Yeah. I love this. Um, yes. I've seen it twice now, and honestly, if I had recalled it, I might have done this for a B film. Well, it's, um, <laughs> so would I. It's a uh, very but, good film. Yeah, and it would have fit your category for yes. this season. But it's an excellent film. I think it is very effective, downright scary. Mm-hmm. And it's got some good gore, too. Oh, yeah. It's surprising. It starts off a little slow, and it's measured. It builds its pace as it goes. But towards the end, like out of nowhere, some good gore starts happening. And uh, it doesn't turn into an out-and-out, you know, gore fest with blood. No, it's not like the thing in that respect, yes. where there's a lot of special effects. But it's more psychological, but it does have some really good gore gags in it. And... I really enjoy the way the filmmakers present their things and reveal things to oh, you. Oh yeah, and from and I mean from a technical level, as far as the camera work, it uh, there are a couple of times when you know we are following one character and we see what they see as they see it. Yeah, and it works really well. And especially like their reaction, or like holy shit. <laughs> And then it's revealed to us what they're seeing, and you're, and then you follow with a holy shit of your own. It's really, really good. No one talks about it, and I think that it definitely deserves some praise and attention. Oh, yeah. Now, we have it on disc, of course, but I want to say it's... It's on Prime. Yeah, it's, uh, being, it's streaming in quite a few places. Now, that wasn't always the case. I can remember a year or two back when I was looking for it. I couldn't find it anywhere, but I guess right now it's on a few different streaming places, Prime most notably. So if you haven't seen it and you want to, and I suggest you do, uh, look for it there. Jamie and I both give this a 5 out of 5. Now we pick things up where we left off, and this is Black Sunday from 1960. And of course, from the one and only... Mario Bava. Of course. The master of both black and white and color, which I've said numerous times that you can rarely find a filmmaker who can use both mediums so effectively. Yeah, and it really shows here. I mean, because I'm not as old as this movie, thank God. Uh, I didn't grow up with it, or I didn't see it until after the fact, after I'd seen some of his other movies in color. And of course, he's... I mean, he ranks up there for Argento, if not surpassing him. In his, I think he surpasses him, but that's a personal thing. In his use of color and visuals. But then, I saw this movie, and this one is in black and white. And you know how I'm always railing about modern black and white movies? How they don't know how to do it, and they don't... They shouldn't do it just to be artistic or try to make a point. If you don't know how to do something well, just don't do it. Well, he knows how to do something well. Of course, he was of the age that he began his career as a cinematographer in black and white. So that, you know, I guess only makes sense. But he is, he is masterful in his use of it. And this has the lovely and iconic Barbara Steele. Yes. And, and it's about witchcraft. Oh, I know. It's like a trifecta of awesomeness. Uh, what's the story about, give or take? Uh, well, it, it begins uh, way back in the day, and we see uh, Barbara Seal. 
as she is being convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to having a spiky mask hammered into her face which as is she awesome. is tied to a stake and then she's buried with it and then the story picks up generations down the road when um uh, and barbara seal comes back kind of like a vampire and it's yeah and this is yeah honestly there's a little bit of both in there and this is basically a story about the sins of the father being visited on the generations beyond because yeah. she is seeking her revenge. Well, yeah, she's angry at town for what they did, and she's out to mess people up. And well, I don't know what else we should say. I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, shame on you. You really need to. It is a great film, and it looks good. And it's just, it's one of those iconic films you see or hear referenced a lot. And for, and good, for reason. good reason, yeah. yeah. So that is Black Sunday from 1960 by Mario Bava. It is a classic. Jamie gives it a perfect 5 out of 5. Mm, Me, I don't think that's a shock. I know. Me, I give it a 4 out of 5, which again means I really like it. I just don't love it. Next, we go to Black Sheep from 2006. This is a horror comedy from New Zealand where supposedly, I don't know, I think it's factual, but uh, supposedly the sheep outnumber people by a wide margin. Oh, yeah. And here, this guy, he has a big old sheep ranch, but he's doing genetic engineering. He wants to make the super sheep to make his ranching empire even more profitable. Unfortunately, science goes wrong and the sheep become zombies basically yeah i mean i was gonna say cannibalistic but they don't eat each other they just eat us they become meat eaters with a taste for human flesh and worse of all they spread a were sheep like lycanthropy because <laughs> one guy he gets bit by a sheep and then as the movie goes on he becomes more and more like a were sheep and it's pretty awesome yeah, the effects in this are really good. I don't believe this was a big budget film, so it's even more impressive because of that. It's I think it's funny. The humor lands. I like the story. I like the characters. It's a it's a good, fun movie, and I think definitely worth your time if somehow you've missed it. Plus, it's very bloody. Yeah, it's goofy. It's gory. It's fun. I mean, <clears throat> it's a horror comedy, so you know some people don't like that. I like them when they're done well, and this is done very well. So much so, we give it a 4 out of 5. And when I say zombie, I don't mean that they're dead. No. They're not, they're just... But they do spread this illness kind of like a, a zombie thing would. So, sort of like a hybrid. Uh, next up is Black Swan from Darren Aronofsky in 2010. And I think most people are aware of this. Um, special shout out to JP, who's very upset about its absence from the uh, the summer series. Oh, is he a big fan? He is, yes. Oh, and uh, I want to say Dave as well. I think they were both unhappy about that. but uh, And probably quite a few other people. Just more proof that your summer series is messed up. Well, it's just for fun. It's no one 
takes it I that know, seriously. Uh, this has Natalie Portland and Mila Kunis, and it's about uh, Natalie Portman's, basically her descent into madness as madness. she's uh, attempting to gain the role of the Black Swan in the ballet Swan Lake. And Barbara Hershey plays her mother. She does an excellent job in this film as a domineering mother. But this is, uh, it's very psychological. It's oh yeah, it's psychological horror, but I think done incredibly well. I'm a big fan of Aronofsky, and I think this is one of his better films. Mm, yeah, I'll give you that. I saw this Christmas Day, the year that it came out, and uh, yeah, it's it's excellent. If somehow you have missed this film, then I definitely recommend it. The performances are incredible. The psychological horror of it is dead on the money. And I really can't recommend it any more than I do. Yeah, this is one of those that plays with that rubber reality I like so much. Not so much from a supernatural angle, just from... Eh, it could be. A psychological angle, But yeah, you know. somebody losing their you know, sense of reality and just succumbing to madness. And as far as that goes, some people don't think it's a horror movie. I do. I think it's very horrifying and I really like it. Uh, in fact, I give it a 4 out of 5, which means I really like it. You, however, give it a 5 out of 5, which I do. means you I love do. it. And, uh, yes, for the record, and I will say that uh, JP has openly said, if Jamie calls it horror, then it's horror. Because I, it's, I'm very big-mouthed about my hard line on horror. And, like, it either is or it isn't. And, to me, this is. Well, so am I. Words have meaning, we need to stick to them. But, uh, and I don't care what people personally no. categorize as horror or not in their own, you know, in, in their own world. But, you know, for my own personal definitions, I have a very hard line about it. So. The only thing that upsets me is when people use classifications, definitions, genre labels to limit themselves. Like... Uh, the old thing I always say is, I'm a horror fan, I only like horror movies, so that's all I'm going to watch. But there's so, so many... So I like it, so therefore it must be yeah. horror? Yeah. But I mean, there's so many great movies out there that aren't necessarily horror, or aren't necessarily easily classifiable. Just, you know, don't limit yourself because, well, you know, I'm a horror fan, I know I don't like dramas or westerns or this or that, so that's all I'm going to watch. And in order to justify it to themselves, everything gets pigeonholed as horror movies. You know, just because a guy has a knife or something like that. Or somebody dies in it. No, that doesn't make a horror movie. But that is a rant for another day. Uh, why don't you tell us about this one, since it's one of your movies. On uh, next up, we have Black Widow from 1987. And this is one that I introduced to Brian. Yes. It is a thriller that I have seen... I don't even know, probably like 50 times. I love this movie. I can pretty much quote it front to back. <laughs> it's, uh, it is a thriller. There's no horror here. <laughs> but, but uh, people die in it. Doesn't that make that have, a horror movie? No. Um, <laughs> Deborah Winger is chasing after Teresa Russell, and Teresa Russell is a black widow killer. She mates and she kills. So basically, specifically she marries, old rich men. Yeah, she marries <laughs> old rich men. Then uh, she doesn't have the patience to wait around for them to die on their own, so she makes it happen. And then she changes her name and moves to another place and does it all over again. 
Deborah Winger, who works in the research department for the FBI, happens to... No, I'm sorry. It's the Justice Department, not the FBI. She happens to stumble across this, and then she starts chasing it, and she kind of becomes obsessed with uh, this killer. She then throws her whole life into it. It's a, a very familiar story where somebody, they're sure something's going on, but nobody else believes them. Yeah, it's difficult to prove, but she knows it's happening. So she gets to the point where she quits her job, she sells her car, she takes all of the money, like she sells everything she owns, and then takes all of that money to chase Teresa Russell, basically. Around the, uh, well, not really around the globe. They go to Hawaii, but, (laughs) (laughs) but. That could be halfways around the globe. It's very effective. I love the ending, it's not that it's you can't figure it out, because you can. As a matter of fact, you did. Yes. I believe. Um, but I do think it's an effective ending. Yeah, and it's still, even though I guessed the ending, it was still... I don't mind that if a movie's good. I don't mind that if a movie entertains me and keeps my interest. And this one did. It's While it was made in 87, it very much feels, and it reminds me, of a 90s type thriller. Well, they they got big, yeah. you know, and uh, like in 87, we also had Fatal Attraction, mm-hmm. and those were the very beginnings of that, but then like um, Basic Instinct came along in 92 and just blew the doors wide open, and I want to say Hand the Rocks a Cradle was also 92, so like right in there you got some really heavy hitters, and then the next thing you know, it, the place is just flooded. Like we have, yeah. but I love those. I, just like I have slashers a, were a thing in the early eighties, thrillers, especially any sort of erotic or sexual thriller, mm-hmm. was big during that time. But I really, really love those, and I like a good mystery. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely worth your time if if you enjoy that kind of thing. I give it a five. And I go with a four, which again means I really like it. I just don't love it to the extent that you do. Next, we come to a movie that I certainly do not love. (laughs) Unfortunately, this is Blackenstein from 1973. You know, uh, blaxploitation was a thing, and then they did Blackula, which is a legit good movie. But unfortunately, somebody saw that and go... And said, hey, I can do that too, but I'll do a Frankenstein. And unfortunately, it wasn't a good movie at all. No, it's not very good. And that's a shame because it. I think that the the premise is, you know, it's, why not? You know, it worked yes. for Blackula. And that is an excellent film, an excellent horror film. You take out the exploitation element, you know, and it's just, just an excellent film that is legitimately scary and has some very memorable moments. This one, unfortunately, does not have very memorable moments. No, it's cheap and it feels and looks cheap. Unlike Blackula, which doesn't, this one very much feels like it was made for a bucko five and a stick of gum. And uh, the story is no great shakes, the acting, the special effects, here we get a wounded Vietnam vet standing in for the whole, you know, sewing together of corpses and all that. And then it starts going off on a killing spree because it's jealous. It is just... It's kind of crap. I don't like this one. And if I didn't get it in for review, I would not have it in a collection. Now mainly I keep it just as a conversation piece or 
if for whatever the reason I need to watch Blackenstein again, I, I've got it. But, uh, I don't recommend this movie. I do highly recommend Blackula, but not this one. Uh, in fact, Jamie gives it a 2 out of 5, which means she didn't like it. I give it a 1 out of 5, which means I hated it. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because you know how forgiving I am. Oh, yeah. You know, and I just couldn't do it. No. <laughs> Not with this one. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. Now, speaking of Blackula, we now come to Blackula, which was made one year earlier in 1972. <laughs> it's a very basic story. Prince Mamwalde is an, is an African prince played to perfection by William Marshall. He is sophisticated and worldly, and he has a beautiful wife, and they are... They're uh, visited by Dracula way back in the day. Uh, they are visited, and then he is turned into a vampire. Yeah, Drac does it as a punishment, because Drac is a little bit into slavery, and of course this guy isn't, and they kind of confront each other, and then Dracula is like, I will curse you with my unlife. And he makes him into a vampire. And then he comes back in modern day. Which is the 70s. <laughs> and yeah, well, modern day for then. And then uh, is, you know, loose on the streets. And yeah. you get a really nice mixture of fish out of water because he is out of his time. But he blends in pretty well. And then there are some murders that are going on, and you know people are trying to discover what's happening with the murders, and then he is involved. Now, he actually is known as a prince in present time. Like, he's pretty well-respected when they find out who he is. Now, they don't know how old he is, but um, it's really, really good. I don't know. I can't, I can't describe how good it is. It's... Uh, there is one particular scene in this film that involves a cab driver who has been murdered by a vampire, and it is genuinely scary. Yes. I mean, genuinely, genuinely scary. There are several scenes in this film that I think are genuinely scary, but I think what we have here is a simple but very tight story. We have characters that you can lean into like you really like these characters and you actually like blackula like you don't he's he's a tragic villain you know he has, he has yeah, he's the best of intentions he he does some bad i mean he straight up kills fools and you know pretty much without just remorse one of those that you like yes. you know you, you you like him you like his presence he has a lot of presence and i this all can be chalked up to william marshall mm mm-hmm. mhm who just killed this role. Also, in the fact so that good. it's a PG film, but this is 1970s PG, which means it's PG with some balls. Yeah. And uh, this is a movie I avoided for a long time because I thought it was going to be, you know, a cheap, cheap... Oh, come on. The title is Blackula. I thought it'd be Cornball. I thought it'd be stupid. I thought it'd be... More like a spoof, maybe, Yeah, or just, something. you know, imagine Dracula, but black. And that's kind of the heart of this movie, but it, it doesn't... They were serious yeah. when they made it. They weren't fucking around. They weren't trying to make a spoofy film. Unlike Blackenstein, which is spoofy and silly and goofy, this one isn't. Yeah, if you have avoided this one, which I'm sure other people out there have too, 
then, you know, give it a chance. It's definitely worth your time. And it is considered a classic, and that's for a reason. And not even in a jokey manner. It is legitimately a classic horror film and definitely earns that title because it's good. Good and scary, and uh, this is a film that I'll watch anytime. It's obvious because you gave it a 5 out of 5. Yes, it did. And I went with a 4 out of 5. And now next, although this is a bit out of order alphabetically... It is the sequel, and it is part of a two-pack that Scream Factory put out on Blu-ray, so I do highly recommend that. It is Scream, Blackula Scream, which came out one year later in 1973. Here, William Marshall is back, and he's bad, but we also get Pam Greer joining the mix. She is a good voodoo priestess. And she becomes aware of Blackula, and she actually tries to help him out. She wants to exercise the demon, you know, the thing that makes him a vampire, out of him. And then, of course, Blackula is back stalking the streets of... Is it New York? I thought it was New York. I think it's New York. And it's just, it's it's more of the same. It's a little bit less than the first movie, but not by much. It is a lot of fun. You know what? It could be Detroit or Chicago. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't want to give misinformation, but it's definitely a big city. But for some reason, I, I want to say it's New York, but it could easily be Detroit or Chicago. I'm not sure. It's one of those. Well, here, I hope it's Detroit. <laughs> I would be awesome if it's Detroit. I I just don't remember. But uh, anyways, yeah, Blackula is back despite being all burnt up in the last movie. But hell, Christopher Lee always did that shit. So why not him? And it's a little bit less than the first one, like I was saying, but not by a whole lot. It is still good, it is still fun, it is still highly enjoyable, and I do recommend seeking it out and watching it. Specifically, I do, uh, once again, recommend the two-pack from Scream Factory. As for this movie, Jamie and I both gave it a four out of five. Yeah, it's still very good, and honestly, better than a sequel to that film, you, you better than you'd expect a sequel to that film to be. Yes. Um, you know, but, again, they put in real effort. Ooh, we're just continuing with the black vampires here. <laughs> yes, the next movie is Blade from 1998. Now, in addition to being just an awesome and great and fun movie, this is one of the first Marvel superhero movies to get it right, to actually be a success. I mean, Marvel had movies all throughout the 70s and 80s, but they were kind of crap. They had some crappy Captain America movies, they had some crappy Spider-Man movies, and whoa, they had a really crappy Fantastic Four movie that never even officially came out. But I've seen it, and wow. But uh, this one, you get Wesley Snipes playing Blade. I think is perfect in this role. Oh, he is awesome. And uh, Blade was, well, his mom was attacked by a vampire while he was still in the womb. Because of that, when he He's was... He's a daywalker. And when he was born, he is half vampire, half human. Which means he's a daywalker. Half vampire, half human, and all badass. He has... I love him. <laughs> all of the vampire's strengths, but none of their weaknesses. Except for he has a thirst for blood. And he doesn't want to go around killing people and drinking them, so he takes a special serum to help him cope 
You get Chris Christopherson here as his... Kind of like his modern-day Renfield, I guess. His, well, not really his Renfield. Well, he's not not in the fact that he's, he's not like a thrall slave, or anything, you know, but yeah. he is his sidekick, I guess. He's the one who develops the serum for him, who... He also you know, makes his weapons him. for him. He's a vampire hunter in his own right, but he's just human. So, uh, and he's also grizzled and old and gruff, and mm-hmm. I don't give a damn. You get Steven Dorff. Who, who I love in this. Yeah, he's very hit and miss with me, but here I think he's a hit. Uh, he plays the main evil vampire with the cool haha, name of Frost. And basically it's, you know, Steven Dorff doing bad vampire things, and Wesley Snipe as Blade doing battle with all the undead, or as he calls them, suckheads. <laughs> it is, it's got some killer music, it's got some killer action. Wesley Snipes is just perfect in this. I'm so sad what happened to Blade 3. We do not have that in our collection for obvious reasons. It sucked. We but don't. I, we watched it. Did, or did we just seek it out and watch it? Uh, we've seen it, but... I mean, we watched it during this run, but maybe we just watched the first two and then I was like, because it's likely it was me, yeah. uh, going, I want to watch it even if we don't own it, because I know we watched it, it at could. the same time. That we sounds about right. These. And I, I, that's that's a me thing to do. Yeah, I, and I do not like that <laughs> And you're movie. going, no, it's not a good movie. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. It's out there. I want to watch it. So that's, you know. As for this one, uh, chances are you've seen it or you know about it. If for whatever reason you haven't seen it. Or if it's been a few years since you've seen it. Because God knows this came out in 98. It's also a nice little 90s time capsule. Oh, too, it is so with 90s. With the music yeah. and the clothes and everything. It's just, it is of its time, but in all the best ways. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Hell, the opening scene takes place at a rave club and uh, with a very sexy and sadly not in the movie very much, but past the first couple minutes, um, Tra- uh, Tracy Lords. Yep. But yeah, so very 90s, very awesome, highly recommended. Don't skimp on that one. No. In fact, we give it, both of us, a 5 out of 5. Yeah, we do. Now, I said we don't have the third one, but that should tell you that we do, in fact, have the second one. Blade 2 from 2002. And besides having Wesley Snipes as Blade again and being awesome in it, this is most notable for being one of Guillermo del Toro's first big studio films. And I think he does a great job here. He does, but what I really like about it is that if you have seen uh, or even read the book, he co-wrote a series of three books with Paul Hogan. The Strain. The Strain. The series was called The Strain. And then um, they made a TV show. Uh, based on those books called The Strain. And if you watch that TV show or even read the books, because the elements are there in the books as well, you see a lot of those things that he wrote into those books and a lot of those things that came that ended up coming out in the television series, as far as bits to do with the vampires, they are there in Blade 2. Yes. he The seeds for those ideas were planted Spe- way back when he made Blade specifically 2. Specifically the look of the vampires. Yeah, yeah. And here, Blade has to team up with other vampires, like real legit bad vampires, because there's a new strain, huh? 
a vampire out there that are like super vamps. And they are killing and drinking the blood of vampires. But as the vampires say to Blade, you know, once they kill all of us, who do you think they're going to kill next? So he has no choice but to team up with this elite unit of vampire hunters. Which, as is, they are vampires who hunt. And specifically, they were put together to hunt Blade. So there's all this tension and stuff going on. You get uh, Ron Perlman in here, who's awesome. Chris Christopherson comes back. You have Norman Reedus in here. You get some awesome-looking vampire effects where they do the whole unhinging of the jaw and opening up their whole face. Which you'll then see in, in the, the strain. strain. And, and apparently he has this thing about... Vampires hunting vampires. Now, apart from Blade and him being part vampire, but the whole, you know, vampires going against the bad vampires. Because there's that character in The Strain that is one of those vampires. Yeah. You know, like, he's the ancient one that comes in to kind of help the humans. Well, uh, just like Blade, he is sort of like a half-vampire. He's not full-on vampire. Yeah. And he hates the half of him that is vampire, so... He goes against it. So a lot of those elements that he would later use mm -hmm. are present here. And I really like that. I And I, what's funny is I saw this movie when it came out. And maybe once after that, you know, when it hit video or something. But then I didn't see it again until we watched it now. And in the interim... We had the books come out, which I read, and then the series come out, which we watched. And then when I went back, and I had completely forgotten about all of that, and then we, when we recently watched Blade 2, I was like, holy shit. He did all this already, and I didn't remember it, but it's very good. And I think there's a reason that he did it again, because it, it those elements really work. Now, there are a few stumbling blocks for me. Uh, some of the CGI looks god-awful, and it looked god-awful even when he did it, you know, way back then. It just looks bad. And I would rather have more, I don't know, actual people fighting than some of the, or some of the wire work, I guess, that's done in Hong Kong cinema, as opposed to some of the CGI shittiness. And there's <laughs> some of that in here. Also, I don't think the main villain is all that great. He's the vampire who is leading up this special group of super vampires, and he has daddy issues, and I don't know. I didn't like him as much as I liked Deacon Frost. But it's still a good movie. It's a very good movie. I gave it a 4.5 out of 5, and Jamie gave it a 5. Yeah, uh, the first two in that series are super yes. solid. And it's unfortunate that the third one is not. Yes. I don't even remember what I rated the third one, but we don't own it, so I don't guess it matters. But uh, it's not as good. No, if I had to guess, I would say probably a two. I don't think it's absolute garbage, but I just... I, I probably would have given it a three. I don't I'm think gonna it's... I'm going to guess. <laughs> you probably did. We now go from Blade to Blade Runner. And come on, you've got to know this movie. It was from 1982. Uh, originally when it came out, it wasn't a big hit. But over the years, it has become huge. It is one of the most seminal cyberpunk movies out there. It's one of Ridley Scott's best films. It's one of Harrison Ford's best films. I mean, it is it's just... It's had numerous versions. Oh, yeah. Uh, recuts. That's, yeah, it has a silly amount of... Uh, 
this really Editions. badass box set that came out. Uh, Which is what we have ago. that has, I think, four different cuts of the film. As a theatrical one, the director's cut, another director's cut, or maybe the work print cut, I think it's called. And then it has the final cut. And each one is just slightly different. Well, it's very divisive, too, because you have people who are all about the theatrical cut, and you have people who are all about the director's cut. And there are some very significant differences between those. Uh, for instance, the, the voiceover, which a lot of people don't like. I do like it because I think it gives it a very noir feel. It does. Which is this... I mean, it is cyberpunk, but it's very noir. Well, cyberpunk and is often noir. That's what I was going to say. And that is it. That is often an important element in cyberpunk. And I think that having the voiceover, to me, nails that home even more. Uh, also, the you're going to have differences even in the music because there's uh, one version where Tangerine Dream which I love did the music for it which I am always about a Tangerine Dream score at always you know and Ridley Scott used them again in or pre no again it was after in Legend, Legend yep. you know uh, I will always take a Tangerine Dream score for one I just think they have an awesome name you know but the, the, <laughs> the music is incredible this movie is iconic I mean it's it's Incredible! And what happened in what happened in 1982, specifically, that you had such amazing films like this and The Thing yes. that both got panned at the time and didn't do well in the theater at the time, only to become legitimate, loved, top of the line classics later on. I guess critics were just fucking stupid back then, or maybe these directors were ahead of their time. Maybe you know, um, I don't think that people were ready for what he showed them visually and I don't think that I, I think that people couldn't quite wrap their minds around it necessarily this is one of my first off it's one of my favorite films of all time but just on a visual level it's just stunning. for I'm not going to take anything away from like Baba or Argento but we mentioned them this show to me this is my favorite looking movie of all time it just it's visual eye candy for me well it is I mean you have Vite uh, bright, vibrant colors. You also have a, a it a rains chunk of the all the time. I was gonna say is <laughs> yeah is is it's just rainy as hell, but that gives it a mood. You know, yes. kind of like in Seven. Yes, you know, it's important. It's important to the film. You also have some really amazing performances. Rutger Hauer is awesome in this. Uh, I love Rucker in most things he does. Brian Jones is really good in this. Yeah, uh, Sean Young is incredible in this. Daryl Hannah. Mm, that's right. You yeah. know, it's there are a lot of people. Chris, yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm sure most people have probably seen it. If you didn't see it before, then maybe people saw it when Blade Runner 2049 came out. I cannot recommend this movie high enough. If for whatever reason you haven't seen it, check it out. If you haven't seen it in a few years, check it out. If you just saw it last year and you want to watch just amazing filmmaking, check it out. Yeah, or and you could check out the different versions and see which one you yeah. prefer. You know, pick a number one through four and just go with it. Because <laughs> they do give you different yeah they do. experiences. As for this movie, no surprise, Jamie and I both give it a five out of five. And then we go to the long delayed sequel, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which actually came out in two thousand seventeen. And this was a movie that surprised me because I was not expecting anything from it. I mean, it's one of those things, how do you walk 
in the shoes of this legend? How do you, you know, how do you make the movie your own when you have this giant shadow looming over you? Well, I think the I, I think that this film was as successful as capturing the world of Blade Runner oh, as yes. Doctor Sleep was with yes. capturing The Shining. And that's what I was thinking of because I mean, just like uh, Flanagan had the shadow of Kubrick looming over him. And that's a big shadow. Yeah. Here you get Dennis, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna butcher this, but Villeneuve, Villanueva, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry I butchered your name, but I love your movies, so hopefully that makes up for it. And he just did an incredible job. It looks like a proper sequel to the first Blade Runner. It's very noir, it's very detective-y, it's very cyberpunkish. Here you get Ryan Gosling as a straight-up android. You know, the first movie, there's always that, you know, was Harrison Ford a replicant or not? Here, this guy is straight up a replicant. He knows he is, but he's also a cop. He works for the cop, hunting down other replicants. And in doing that, his path crosses over a lingering mystery from the first movie. And he begins to look into it, and the story goes from there. This movie, it is awesome. Is it better than the original? No. But is it any lesser? No. I like it just as much. I enjoy this movie. I think it looks stunning. I like the characters. I like the story. I like the world building. This is another movie that is damn near perfect for me. I can put it on any time and just sit back and smile as I watch the pretty pictures before me. Yeah, it's definitely the perfect companion piece, and I think if it had been done by anyone else, it probably wouldn't have turned out the way it did. I, I just, I, I feel like he understood what Ridley Scott was doing with the first one. Yes. And was able to complement it very well. Here you get even more of a the idea of what is life and artificial intelligence, does that equate to life? Is that a living, breathing thing? And that is ultimately the question that is asked in both films. Yes. And uh, I think uh, answered. Oh, yeah. yeah. For such a late-coming sequel, I think it nailed it. Uh, it's, a, it's a long movie. It's damn near three hours. But, again, it goes by so quick for me. I just I love it. I never realized it no. was that long. I knew it was long. I didn't know it was that long. It just doesn't feel like it. No. Uh, I highly recommend it. If you're a fan of the first movie, if you're a fan of the cyberpunk genre, even if you're not, just give it a watch. It is just a damn good film in and of itself. So good that, big surprise, Jamie and I gave this another five out of five. I mean, hell, just take a weekend and watch them back to back. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's worth it. It's a really good experience. We now leave all the various blades behind, and we now go to Blair, as in the Blair Witch Project from 1999. Again, this is a movie that I'm sure you know about. Uh, you've either seen it or you've heard about it. It was huge. It Everybody's seen it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, surely. Or if not, it was parodied or spoofed for I mean, a million different ways, a million different times. It revitalized the found footage genre. It is just, it was huge. 
Um, and as somebody who was around when it first came out, the way it was marketed and... The That's what it's most well-known for, I think, is that viral marketing campaign Oh, that it was massive. Several things have, you know, basically taken cues from that and done it in different ways. Like Cloverfield, for mm -hmm. instance, had a very similar thing. But it was so groundbreaking that a good chunk of people believed it was real. I was going to say, when I uh, first saw this... When it first came out, it was only in one small little art house theater in Michigan. This is before it broke open huge and suddenly yeah, everybody was showing it. I had to go it. two hours. I had to drive two hours to see this film when it came out. Well, when we saw it, you could hear a pin drop during the scenes. Because everybody was just listening and watching the screen and waiting for anything. And then after it was over, you may not believe it if you weren't there. But I swear to God, I could hear people, you know, whispering... Did that really happen? Is this real? Are they dead? Are they still missing? I mean, people bought into it. Hook, line, well, and sinker. there was that sci-fi special oh, that yeah. came out, uh, which uh, we recently went through. When we did this movie for the collection, we went on this tear. <laughs> and we were going back and finding all the old documentaries mm -hmm. about it, all the old specials. Because they were done so well. Yeah, I mean, stuff that I didn't even recall seeing at the time, like little tiny obscure little doc films that were made. Of, uh, we just unearthed a whole bunch of stuff. And that was a really fun journey mm -hmm. to, to go back through that stuff and see some stuff that I hadn't even seen before. And uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. You can actually take this film and the two sequels and then go on a whole ride, you know, with all the different, the, the supplemental things that were made for it. And it's really phenomenally fascinating. If you haven't experienced it at the, at the time, then uh, it's definitely worth going back and digging that stuff up just to see what was going on because it was, it was just it. They approached this the way no one had ever approached yeah. marketing a film before, and it and was unreal. Say what you want about the marketing and even the quality of the film, but just the world building, the lore, they just knock that out of the park. Oh, they, for sure. They had so much stuff behind it, and they did so much with it. I really enjoyed it. Um, there are books, companion books that we have. There's that... video games, comic books. I mean, this thing was huge. And rightfully so. I think it is a legit good film. Now, some people, after the fact, a lot of people actually were like, I never thought it was real. Oh, bullshit, yes, you did. Well, I'm... no, I mean, I didn't think it was real. Well, no, a lot of people didn't. But there were a lot of people who did. And now I never hear from them. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. All I hear is, it's the same people who watched uh, The Sixth Sense and yeah. was like, I knew he was dead all along. Fuck you. No, you didn't. This, um, the, the only reason I knew that this film, because, I mean, I gotta say, if I had just uh, gone in blindly and, you know, I watched the specials on TV and then I went to see the film, I probably would have fallen into it as well because nothing like that had ever been done before. And even though, if you think about it hard enough, it doesn't make any sense that they would, you know, people are missing and so they're going to turn a movie <laughs> into it and sell it. Like, it just doesn't seem very sensitive. Not no. something that anybody would really do. 
But at the time, the, the way it was approached, it was very believable. And the only reason I didn't think it was real was because I had been following yes. it for a very long time. And, you know, I'd been, uh, there were ads and, you know, and stories and Fangoria back then. And like my group of friends and I were waiting for this movie to come out. So we knew that it was all a campaign, that it was all, you know, that everything was building up to this experience and we were waiting for that. But if I hadn't been that steeped in it, if I hadn't been following it as much as I had, kind of like the same thing I did when Cloverfield was coming out, I was all over that marketing campaign. Um, if I hadn't put, like, been waiting as long as I had for it and known all of that ahead of time, I probably would have believed it too. You know, it... It was presented in a very matter-of-fact way. And I'm not saying everybody fell for it, so don't anybody get upset. Don't know, I never fell for it. I'm, I'm happy and glad that you didn't. All I'm saying is a lot of people did. Because I was there and I remember it. Yeah, well, yeah, and then you're right, and you never hear from those people no. now. You know, but <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. I had the same experience when I saw it in the theater, a lot of people. And now, like I said, there were 14 of us that went to, that we drove the two hours to go see this film, and um, we were all we were all prepared for it. We knew what was going on, but while we were in the theater, there were a lot of people around us who didn't know anything about it. Really, they just saw that this movie was coming out, so they went to go see it, and that's it. They and so they fell right into it, and I just think I don't think that that makes anybody stupid. You know, that, no, it that just means, was a very effective yeah, campaign. They, they were effective. That You know, they, they knew what they were doing and they targeted the audience very well. So if people believed it, I don't fault them for that. You know, it just means that they weren't following it from the beginning like a bunch of us were. But, yeah, I'm not going to ever fault it for that. I honestly, to me, the marketing campaign behind the film, I think, is better than the film itself. To me... Personally, this is the lesser of the three. It it is my least favorite of the three. Well, Mainly everybody that's knows because Heather. I'm not a big fan of Heather in this. Everybody film. knows Blair Witch Project Two: The Book of Shadows sucks. No, it doesn't. <laughs> and actually, no, it doesn't. And we covered that on the first season of uh, ABCs, which so... we need to put it back out there. Yeah, I should, um, and I will eventually. But, but as for this movie, again, you know all about it. Kids in the woods running around with camcorders being chased and, you know, spooky stuff. Uh, some people love it. Some people hate it. I really like it, and so does Jamie. We both gave it a four out of five. I remember my roommate at the time, she didn't even get to watch the whole thing. She was one of the people that unfortunately was affected by the camera and she got ill. Oh, yeah. Uh, so she didn't even get to see the whole film until it came out on video, and then we watched it again at home. Which, by the way, for me, was a better experience. And I think it's because at home I was able to... What I did was I turned on all the lights, I smoked a lot of weed, <laughs> and uh, it was very quiet. You know, I was able to control the environment. So I found it much scarier when I watched it at home. To me, in the theater, it wasn't scary. It was just kind of a fun experience. But when I watched it later, I did actually find it legitimately scary at times. Yeah, I agree. We now go to Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, from 2000. 
and this is a movie it's out of order well yeah it's out of order because it's it's a sequel to uh, whatever but this is a movie that a lot of people didn't like and i never got that I've always liked this movie. I loved this film from the well, moment what, I saw it. Joe Berlinger is an excellent filmmaker, and he, well, mostly known for his documentaries. He did Paradise Lost, that yeah. whole series of documentaries, which is very good if you They're haven't awesome, seen it. They're awesome, yeah. About the West Memphis Three. Ooh, they'll get you mad. <laughs> oh, yeah, they will. They'll get you real pissed off, but they're fun to watch. Um, and we actually did just recently go through all of those, just mm-hmm. because they're on HBO Max. But... Um, with this one, this is not a found footage film. It is a straightforward, well... Well, it's half and half. St- and I was going to say straightforward, but it's not really because it, it does a lot of, um, of disjointed film mm-hmm. storytelling. Which I love. But it is a film film, uh, whereas, you know, the first one was found footage and, you know, shot on with multiple cameras. This is mostly a straight-up film. And it's... The, the what's going on in the town after the Blair Witch. In this world, the film, The Blair Witch Project, is a real thing. And uh, there is a guy who runs tours through... Well, this is first one, but he, uh, he, um, he has a whole business where he sells like little stick figures and, you know, piles of dirt uh, from the woods and all of these things. He has an online business and he's decided to start a tour... And so his first tour group includes a Wiccan and a goth chick. A who, hot goth chick. Who happens to be psychic. And, and then hot. a couple, and she's very hot. She is. <laughs> I, Kim Director is stunning in that film. And then you have a couple who are doing research. For a book. And they're also, they also go on the tour. And is that it? Is it just? Yeah, them. Okay. And then... They go on the tour, not really believing necessarily. Well, the the goth chick is going to try to. I think she, she just likes spooky things. Yeah, I think she was bored or something. The uh, the Wiccan is going to try to commune with the spirit of Ellie Kedrick because uh, she's upset over the bad name witches are getting. Right, and then the couple, of course, is doing research on the effects of something like this and, mass psychosis. And, and then stuff. you know you've got the town who does not appreciate all of the all of the fame that has come from this film. And you know then they go into the woods and they find out that something really is there, and maybe, and things start happening, but. Is it all a product of their mind, or is something really affecting them? Yeah, is it mass hysteria, mass psychosis, or is it a legit supernatural threat? I think this is a very smart film that says a lot about perception versus reality. I agree. And uh, there are some questionable decisions that were made by the production company, not by Berlinger. Unfortunately, we always say... You have to judge a film on what you're given, mm-hmm. not what could have been. But I will tell you, to this day, I would love to see a director's cut of this film. I want to see what his original vision Unfortunately, was. Unfortunately, he's pretty much... He does not like this film, from what I hear. He practically hates it. I think and he had a really bad experience. Yeah, he's washed his hands of it, and he said he'll never do anything more with it. So the chances of getting a director's cut is very, very slim. And that makes me sad because I think that what his original vision was probably would have been much better. Mm -hmm. Even though I do like what we got 
there are things about it that I would have preferred not to be there. There were things that were added by the producers that they thought would make a better traditional horror film for the masses. And as we know, they frequently don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah, despite coming out in 2000, this is again another very 90s film. Some of those questionable choices... Well, like Marilyn Manson, I don't think he should have been included on the soundtrack. No, well, uh, that it's interesting because... Okay, well, Berlinger famously wanted to use Witchcraft mm-hmm. as the song, uh, the opening song, and I think that would have been cool. At the same time, I will never forget when I was sitting in the theater to watch this film and the Marilyn Manson song started. I, uh, because of the time period, because of you know, it just felt... It felt right at the time, and that was an experience that I really enjoyed, so I'm not upset about that. It's more the inclusion of the mental hospital scenes that were put in there when they didn't need to be put in there, and also the ending that kind of jacked up the ending, but, you know, what are you going to do? I still like what we got quite a bit. Well, you love what we got. I do. You gave it a five out of five. Yes, I did. This is another film I can watch anytime. Me? I gave it a 4 out of 5. Again, means I really like it, but yeah, some of those producer choices and the meddling, it sticks a little bit in my craw. But, again, famously, this was my pick for our B episode during the first season of ABCs. And there's a reason for it. I do love this movie. I think it's legit good, and... I'm hoping that over time, more and more people will see that. Well, I will say this, that it has been gaining a lot of steam. And uh, in the past several years, I have seen a lot of people come up that uh, have a lot to say about it. As a matter of fact, it uh, on last year's summer series, it did get in the conversation. Oh, okay. So that's, that's good to me. Uh, it's definitely It definitely has an audience, and it's gaining an appreciation. So, you know, I'm not upset about that. Okay. And last but not least, we go with the third Blair Witch movie, simply called Blair Witch from 2016. And this was another example of some awesome marketing that I think they could only do once. And it's a shame because originally this movie was known as The Woods. You know, and... This is something that I think people have forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, Largely, like on the whole. I know that there are people out there who who remember it, uh, Dave being one of them. Well, I remember I saw the trailer under the title The Woods. Yeah. And it looked like a scary woodland, you know, horror story. Actually, you got a a press release about it. That's how we first saw the trailer for it. Yes, and I had no idea it was a Blair Witch movie. No, nobody did, and that was the beauty of it. In fact, when the first people... It was at a press screening or something. When the first people went in to see this movie, all the posters, all the marquees, everything outside the theater said The Woods. I think it was at a festival. It might have been TIFF. Maybe that was it. something like that. But, yeah. After they go in and see it, and then the real movie and real title card comes out, when they came out of the theater, now all of a sudden all the posters and the marquees and all that, they now said Blair Witch. Which I think is awesome. They printed two sets of marketing stuff. And they had one out there for the beginning. And then as everybody's in the theater, people came out and switched everything around. And I just, I love that. That is smart. That's some William Castle shit right there. And it's brilliant. The, The 
Because nobody was expecting a Blair Witch sequel. No, not at that point. It not in 2016, years. and especially not after the hell that Part 2 got. Right. And the unfortunate thing is that they lost faith. And, well, a couple of things happened. One, I think the production company buckled and they were afraid that they wouldn't get any, that nobody would go see it if yes. they didn't know what it was. But also, there were leaks. Yeah. After that first screening, then suddenly well, everybody knew about unfortunately, it. Unfortunately, that's a sign of the times where everybody has a goddamn camera on their phone. Yeah. You can't do stuff like that anymore. No. As soon as you do, boom, it's going to be all over the internet. Yeah. Which it was. And I think, so it could be, too, that the production company was trying to come out ahead of that. Um, yeah. I think it was a combination of things. Either way, it's unfortunate because I would have loved to have gone to see this film under the title The Woods and be just mind blown. I know. I think it would have been like that moment at the end of Split. Oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> when Bruce Willis suddenly shows up at the end of the counter. They called him Mr. Glass. <laughs> that was an incredible moment. Yes. I mean, I remember my jaw hit the floor when we saw that in the theater. And I think this would have been right up there. Yeah. I think it would have been exactly the same kind of experience. You know, imagine going in, we're going to go see this movie called The Woods, and then the title comes up, and it's Blair Witch, and you're like, holy shit. I <laughs> would have been all over that. You know, it would have... It would have rocked my world, but unfortunately, we knew about it before we went in. Yeah. But that's just marketing. How is the film itself? I really fucking love this movie. So I do think I. it does an excellent job of expanding on the world. And it and it gives you answers for things that happened in the first one. Like it basically drives home the fact that yeah, once you're in these woods, you're fucked. Yeah, you here know? uh basically Heather's brother who must have been a real little kid back in the day. Uh, Heather's still missing. The Blair Witch happened. Uh, the second one, Book of Shadows, I guess may or may not have. But the very first movie is canon in regard to this film. And Heather's brother is still looking for Heather because she's still missing. He gets a piece of video sent to him anonymously, which shows someone that could be Heather. So him and his friends get together, they strap on the GoPros, and they bring a drone, and they go out to the woods to hopefully find Heather. And that's where this movie picks up. Yeah, a lot of people don't like this film. I... I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't get it. I really, really enjoy no, this I, film and, I what will they, and what they did. I will say, there is a preponderance of cheesy jump scares in this. Yeah. Or just, you know, hey, what are you doing? Or like somebody's walking and somebody grabs them by the shoulder. Bah! And just. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. But it did not detract enough for me to ignore the fact that they basically gave us more lore. Yes. And a and lot that's... of people don't like the fact that you actually saw the witch. I, well, I like that. There's actually a school of thought that says who knows if that is the witch or not. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, is with a film like this, there are a lot of things that are open to interpretation. Supposedly, okay with that. they had a story and had plans for a sequel to this where it explained a lot of the strange things that go unexplained in this one. Unfortunately, because this movie didn't do very well, uh, the, the plans of the sequels and all that were scrapped. And that bums me out because I would like to have seen more of this. I really enjoy this. I like the look of it. 
I like the lore that they continue to build. I like that they added new things to it, like the idea that this group goes into the woods and then because they fight with each other, two of the members break off from the rest and they go their separate way. And then, like a day later, the remainder of the big group finds those two people, but now they're like, where the hell have you been? We're starving! Yeah, they've been out there for like five days. Yeah, and they're like, what are you talking about? We just saw you. And you're like, we've been out here for a week! (laughs) Yeah. Any idea that it manipulates time and space? But differently for different people. And... That is Because eventually you see one of those people even later, and now he has a full-grown beard, and he's all, like, wild man. (laughs) He's been out there for a long time, and I love that. Yeah, it's, um, another film that kind of does that is Grave Encounters. Yes. And the the second one, uh, Grave Encounters 2, Mm -hmm. when they encounter the first guy. And I really like when movies do that. Yes. You know, and, and... to me, that is a very terrifying concept that you could go somewhere and suddenly up is down, left is right, day is night. Well, you know how I love that stuff. And, yeah, <laughs> and you can't trust your own nope. brain. That is horrifying. Like I always, when reality turns against you, you're fucked. There's I, nothing scarier than that. I no guy with a that. knife, nobody with a yeah. chainsaw, no, nothing is scarier then reality is against you. And I think they do that really well here. Plus, we get that scene, which a lot of people also don't like, but it's a very claustrophobic scene where she's crawling through the tunnel uh, at the end. Uh, People don't like that? People don't like it. To me, it works super well. It makes me very uncomfortable, and that's exactly what it's supposed to do. I really have no issues with this film. You did mention the jump scares, but like I said, they don't bother me enough to no. to make me not like this film. That's like, a good example. If the rest of the movie is good enough, I don't mind it. If the rest of the movie is crap, then those jump scares, they just stick out. Yeah, well, they're just going to pile on to the other things that aren't good. Yeah. You know, and this one, it didn't bother me. So, uh, I recommend this movie, and this would be a good movie to do for the ABCs, because... Although it's not that old. We did. We did a special... We did... Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, but that's when it actually came out, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we did. Which, when I release the season one of ABC's, it'll come out as well. But it was okay. a special edition that you and Dave and I did. Yeah, just about this just movie. Just about this yeah, that's film right. specifically. Well, that's what I was going to say, because nobody mentions this movie anymore. And I don't Except know, maybe, to say they don't like it. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe just people don't like it. But I don't know. I think it's very effective. I think it's done well. Again, there's some, there's some parts that I think are kind of cheap and cheesy and don't work. But overall, I dig this movie a whole hell of a lot. Uh, so does Jamie, and we give it a four out of five. Okay. Well, I guess that's gonna wrap it up for. This episode of the collection, and we had some really good stuff to talk about in this one. Mm-hmm. I, I like this one a lot. This is a good chunk of movies. We basically went from Black to Blade to Blair. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. As usual, we appreciate you sticking around this far. We love you very much. Thank you for being out there. And uh, I guess we will see you next time. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.
Thank you for visiting the House of Salmons. We hope to see you back very soon. Until then, come chat with Brian and me on our Facebook group page at Horror in the House of Salmons. And if you like what we do here and want to hear some bonus episodes, consider being a patron at patreon.com slash house of salmons. Special thanks to Rick Morgan for composing our theme music.